please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about vintage guitars tonight. Um, oh, God. I, I really had to stop Jim just now because there's something we should be talking about as far as the what's new. So what's, what's new for you? We both, we both filed yeah. our taxes, right? That's and right. So oh, I'm getting yeah. some money back. Jim's paying some money and yeah. life goes on. Um, so, Not as much as last year, though. Almost yeah, half of what I did Yeah, yeah, because I remember you told me what she paid last year and I was like, how do yeah. you even how do you even get into that situation? But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, tax season sucks, right? But like a lot of people kind of get into this whole like I'm getting a bunch of money back and so I'm going to well, blow all this money. You know, and- there was a time, yeah, there was a time and, and I do remember this and, and, and this kind of leads into what we're talking about. Uh, so I did my son's taxes, too, while we're sitting here. And there was a time when tax season was fun and you got some money back. And like you, a lot of people pay. They know they're paying extra. They do it yeah, on purpose. I do. Um, they want that buffer. I need to do that for next year. I, I've already got everything um, setting up for next year, so I don't pay again. I'm going to try to get as close to zero as possible. The problem is that that doesn't really indicate your real income. But anyway, so at the end of a year, I... I had I had three kids and I had a, a wife and it and and so I had five deductions and think about how much you know money yeah, I got that, back. Yeah, those year. child deductions help. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so this year, this is my second year of empty nesting, and um, so I didn't work at Guitar Center, so all my Guitar Center money didn't go out in taxes. Um, but. Uh, the little bit, because I worked one month last year at Guitar Center still, mm-hmm. at $1,100. That's right. how much I had to pay extra in taxes. So, <laughs> that, yeah, you see, you see my point, right? Yeah. And so, um, it, what's, um, what's funny is I look at this, and I think to myself, who gets a refund? <clears throat> and, um. You know, it's obviously people with kids and everything else. And and I used to be that person. I used to say, oh, man, I get that refund back. What am I buying? You know, am I going to buy this? I'm going to buy that. Or I'm going to buy an amp. Or I'm going to buy a guitar. I'm going to buy pedals. What am I going to buy? And now I'm like, I'm like, my son, who doesn't do the pay extra thing. He's just, whatever they take out, they take out. Well, first of all, Uncle Joe wants $4, okay? Mm-hmm. Because Joe and Kamala got to split it so they can go to McDonald's and get off the dollar menu, right? And then, so that's how much he's paying in federal. Four dollars. I mean, you would think there'd be a minimum. Look, look the tax co- processing the- fee. You if four dollars, it's going to cost money to take the four dollars from him. But anyway, that's beside the point. Then <clears throat> he's getting money back from Aunt Virginia to offset that, so he's going to get a total of forty-eight dollars. I'm like. For total, we we spent that at lunch. I'm like, and more. I'm like, this this is not a great tax season. Now Aunt Virginia is giving me eight hundred something because I way overpaid Aunt Virginia. 
So I've just got to, you know, move yeah, some money yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. So that Uncle Joe and Aunt Kamala get more money. You- Jenny gets less. But I'm just saying that this whole thing, it's like, it's like um, some of us, you know, don't get money. And we, <laughs> it's like we're giving everybody I know, every friend I know, and I have, owes owed money, broke even, or got a little bit back. A little bit. Uh, unless, just like you, they had, um, you know, you have, you have two kids at the house, right? Right. And you're able to claim both of them, right? Mm-hmm, this year, yeah. So that's, that's why I was saying that. So when well, I look at it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. All I was, I, where I was going with the taxes was that, you know, do you remember when um, companies used to give, like have the tax sales? On, yeah. Right around tax day? Yeah. They're not doing that so much anymore. Um, no, because because and it was long before Trump even they started trying to get you to zero, and so m- more and more companies didn't take out more taxes than you you would owe at the end of the year. Well, that's it's, based on your that's based on the the forms you fill out, okay? right? Right, and and the last I, I did single and zero, right? But in the last eight years, that's been a problem because. The tax law changes within the year, yep. specifically and in the last three years. Um, yep. So you don't know what the hell's happening until you know until you file, um, and uh, yeah. So that's that's where where I'm at. But but you know, I did get some tax sales this weekend. Um, Waves, the company that does plugins. Um, I'm working on a recording project right now. I was able to snag. I think this deal will still be going on Monday, the 18th. Uh, I was able to snag two plugins for 30 bucks and get two yep. free. Wow. Okay. So they were like, yeah, we're just going to give some plugins away pretty much. Um, that's and that's the first time I've like had a deal like that in a long time. So yeah. I, none of the stuff I'm buying right now is like sexy gear purchases, right? I'm buying plugins to record. I'm buying uh, a direct box when I get paid this week. Um, just so not a direct box really, but a uh it's a reamp box. And then Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm buying probably after that, like expression pedals, that kind of thing. So I kind of want to share a little bit about that, right? The expression pedal thing. So um actually, you know what? Let's share let's I'm actually gonna hit the what's new at the end of the gig report. Because I actually it's part of the gig report and um some things that that uh, led to some other things. So, yep. um, do you have a, what any what's new other than you know death and taxes? I, I literally don't think I bought any. I mean, literally, not even a guitar pick. Yeah. Hey, no. hey, that's okay. That's okay. You knew taxes were coming. Everybody, uh, everybody holds onto their wallet to that point, and you you know a lot of people actually like even hold up and they don't really have gigs and stuff going. Today is obviously Easter, so. Um, probably not a lot of report in that regard as well. I know you're about to get ready for some other gigs, um, and stuff. And you've got, you've got obviously construction going on in the room too. So that's a whole thing. Um, yep. so anyway, uh, let's go ahead and let's, let's flip over to topic one. If you're ready, it's hard to point at that wall, at the blank that wall, <laughs> blanket, that bl- wall. you're pointing at a blank. <laughs> yeah. The Thor picture is gone, folks. That's, that's gone. We threw it in the garbage, um, and uh, you said goodbye to Thor and said goodbye to Thor. Why did you throw it in the garbage? 
because it was an 11 or actually a 12-foot canvas poster, 12-foot by oh, almost six feet tall canvas like, poster. where are you going to hang that up? Yeah, and nobody wanted it. I, I was like, I, can't, I have a futon. And I can't give that damn thing away. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know about futons. <laughs> you can't even give those damn things away. I don't know why. Don't buy a futon. Whatever you do, don't buy a futon. I did. I did. Long time ago. But it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, topic one. Jim, you know, we, we talked about this before the show. Uh, just something that's been pondering in my mind over the last couple of days is, um, is vintage worth it? Like, so, obviously, we know, just to kind of set the scene here a little bit. Obviously, we know that people buy vintage guitars all the time and they maybe even lust after certain vintage guitars. Like we can think about 61 Strats and 57 Les Pauls and maybe 57 Strats as well fall into that. Um, no casters and Definitely broadcasters. 63, 64 Strats are in there. Anything mm -hmm. up to 64 before the... Um... Before the takeover of CBS, I think that is. Well, 61 and 62 yeah. tend to be the holy grail. That's yep. that's like the 57 in the Les Paul. Like a lot of people yep. are very, very and, – and I think it has to do with SRV. But it's like everybody wants that 61 for some reason. Yeah, I looked into getting a birth year Strat. So my birth year, folks, are, is 64. And it was 20 – I think a, a cheap one, like one that is a quote-unquote player's grade is $20,000. Yeah, so, so that's the sticker price. Um, yeah, talking to people around, I know that they trade for about ten thousand. But that said, ten thousand is still right. an insane amount of money. Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm not going to spend it on a Stratocaster. Mm -hmm. I don't like Stratocasters enough to spend it on a Stratocaster. Mm -hmm. And there's no such thing as a 1964 Les Paul. So, guess who's not buying a Birth Gear guitar? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, and that, by the way, that was players' grade. But I was referring to the one that was about ten. Right, years, right. So. I know. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, it's worth mentioning. Like if you're in the market, never buy off reverb for a vintage guitar look for one local or look for one you can drive to see and make a deal in person, uh, without, right. without, without a doubt because, and, and also you better know your shit. It's like Joe Bonamassa says the same thing. Like when you know it's a vintage guitar, you know, it's a vintage guitar. And if you have any question of doubt, then you're not buying it and you shouldn't be. Um, that's right. so there's or that whole thing too. So for my year, just to give you an idea, the cheapest one is $24,500. And the most expensive one, on reverb right now, mm -hmm. and the most expensive one that's that's used excellent, it's in Connecticut, it is $89,000. I couldn't see me spending $8,900. They'll never get, get $89,000. I don't care if it's in perfect, immaculate condition. Strats aren't worth that, period. No, period. And they've got one for forty five thousand. That's the next high one, but it's in Paris, France. I could see oh. maybe thirty five to forty, but yeah, there's one even forty five thousand is steep. Okay, forty one five in in Canoga Park, California, and let's see one in Florida for forty eight. I I just and that one came from Neil Schoen's collection. I yeah. just don't. Oh yeah, okay, and so uh -huh. I can. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They made me put it in a case for 25 years and never touched it. <laughs> yeah, which it probably was. Yeah, when you I'm think sure. about it, it probably was a cased guitar. Yeah, he plays the, so many PRS guitars. I just uh, oh hell yeah, oh yeah, this thing. Oh my god, I'm making this a joke. Literally way, is. Though. I know you're joking. Guess what? This does look like it sat in a case for all those years. 
So I could understand somebody if if they're a big Neo Sean fan and it was his. It, it obviously didn't get a lot of play. Something like that. It wouldn't shock me if it wasn't a gift. Um, that, that's what I was about to say. A gift yeah. to Neil Sean. And then he gave it back and it's like, oh, yeah. Um, so. All right. Um, that aside, right. Um, I think even guitars from my youth are starting to get the word vintage attached to them. Uh, by youth, I mean, you know, the nineties, uh, early to early to, you know, mid nineties. Um, if you're paying attention to the market right now, prices are climbing. Um, and it's, it's being driven by the inflation that's driving the larger market. I think, I think a lot of people are like, well, the larger market prices are going up. So my used gear needs to go up, even though the larger prices are sort of artificially inflated right now. Um, I've been having some like kind of economic conversation with people about this and saying like, look, um, companies are taking advantage of shortages to raise prices because they can right now. And that's something we all sort of need to like reconcile in our minds that these prices are artificially being raised, not just, mm-hmm. um, and it's not, it's not just dealer markup and all that. It's just literally like they're, they, I, Hey, I have to raise my prices 3% to cover the new cost. Let's raise them seven because this is a good opportunity oh. to do that. So um, there's a, there's a couple of reasons that things might be moving in reverb. Mm-hmm. So there's there's Etsy, who's obviously everybody knows Etsy is what Reverb owns. Reverb. Etsy has announced a price increase. Yeah. And the last that ha- last time that happened, it was a little while later. Reverb announced it too. So, so I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it could happen. So can I ask a question? Because this is because this sure. is what every one of our listeners should be asking. Yeah. Why is Etsy going up? They don't provide. Now, if the shipping cost goes up, you're going to see that in your shipping cost, right? Like that's going to be reflected right. there. But why right. are their sales fees going up? Is it because the cost of living increases for their employees? Or is it because – because last time I checked, last time I checked, when we had inflation, I've never worked for an employer who's like, oh, cost of living increase. That That's not how that works. That's, that's somebody uh, looking at the situation yeah. going, there's more money on the table. Let's grab it. Unless you're in the military or in then work for the government, and then which I don't because I'm a contractor, um, so I'm not a direct employee. My my raise this year was let me see, carry the four, add five, zero. Yeah. Um. So and my raise last year was let me see, uh, uh, zero. So and the raise for that was um, uh, zero. So I'm just saying most that common folk don't get raises like that anymore. Most people now military and and government people get what they call a cola. So again, this is this is something that those folks that live in there, you know, and, and don't get me started on that because I live with the and work for the government folks who then talk about, oh yeah, I only got a four and a half percent raise. Shut up! I didn't get any, so shut up. You know, if you can see it in your check, it's better than I got. Um. So anyway, um, what I, uh, what I was what I was getting at there is this, you know. So Etsy's looking at going up. And that's exactly what I was, I was like. So what are they providing that they didn't provide last week? You got it's it. for the extra percentage. Do you Nothing. Remember, do you remember what and they remember what they said was going to happen last time? 
We're going to provide better marketing services for small businesses who also absorb the brunt of everything. Do you know the only thing that changed last year? They 1099K to people. That's what changed. So we paid for them to screw us. Yep. That's kind of messed up. Yep. And guess what? They'll 1099 everyone next year. Oh, no. They 1099 everyone. No, they 1099 is last year, too. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. It didn't matter how much you spent. I mean, which was was a bit of a tax nightmare for me, by the way. Um, I had to fill it out the other night. And I actually bought audit support this year because I have no idea what the hell's going to happen. Um, it was oh, like 50 bucks versus, and, you know, paying a thousand. I, I think, I'll you, know what 50 pisses, bucks. you know, what pisses me off about that? Seriously. We're not businesses. No, you, me, the, no. The, the, the every man who sells stuff. Now, it, it, let me, let me finish that. Cause there's, there's one more step to that. Not only are we not businesses, they collect the fucking sales tax on that item. So uncle Sam and you know, but, you're, but, it, you're but it is local. income for us. It is not. Yes, it is. You you took money in, Jim. That is income for That's, a private citizen. You are supposed to report all income to the federal government. In their that, eyes, in their eyes, that is that, how that's that supposed is to, to work. Say that if you right, and that would be to say, and I'm not saying that that is some it, some places do do this. You live in a bigger city, they might. If you have a. Um, uh, and I can tell you they do this in Norfolk, but they do it differently, and I can tell you about how they do it. But if you go out – let's say I have a yard sale. I put a Les Paul out there, and I sell that Les Paul out there, mm-hmm. right? Which used to be the great way of getting instruments when I was a kid. That was it one still of the great is. Ways. It still is. Stop it at you know, a yard sale or whatever. You can still get some cool instruments. Anyway, that means you're supposed to do taxes on that. Yes. What about the little kid with a lemonade stand? Correct. We were just – my son and yes. I were talking about that. Yes. And so – and yeah, and I know, and I, I saw the story about the kid that did eliminate his stand and wound up having to pay thousands of dollars in taxes. I'm like, you are kidding me. I, my point is, we don't sell guitars for a living. No. And we don't sell guitars on a regular basis. And you don't, oh, you you know, don't have to pay the self-employment tax, but the way it's coded is, is and the, misleading. And 99.9% of the time, what do you do with that money that you just sold the guitar for? <laughs> you buy something else with it. You buy another one. Or you, you've already purchased what you had and you didn't buy it to sell it. So therefore, that's right. why am I listing this as a tax item which on a is, 1099K? Right, exactly. Which and is that's supposed my to be point. miscellaneous business now, income. Now, I get it if you're like a trogly or you're a collector and you you're dealing in the ten thousand four thousand you know forty thousand dollar guitars you're you're the limit was supposed to, the all limit, the time that's your that's your business the limit was supposed to be twenty thousand dollars up until actually next year it'll flip um i believe it was like twenty thousand this year but they issued ten ninety nine ks because certain states were requiring it right um right which you know if you're like me you have proof you wrote it all off and basically you paid yep. like 35 bucks or something. It was like peanuts, right? which is what I did because um, there was a way for – and just so people who are listening, if you haven't filed your taxes yet when this episode drops, just so you know, you can get away with this. If you, if you take your 1099K and you put it in as investment income um, right. and, and set it as uh, – was it Prada? It, it's it's like uh, personal, personal items um, right. and – just put in there, you know, and then you can offset with what your cost basis was. Um, right. And I'm sure 
I think that cost basis is supposed to be over here. So it ended up being capital gains for me, which is even yep. more screwed up because most of the stuff was not bought last year. I know. Year. It's, it, it, and I had, yeah. So I got one, obviously, we all did. Um, and luckily, because it was under $600, I actually was under 500 or something like that. But um, uh, it did nothing. When I put it in the tax system, it did not. But I put it in there. Yeah, you, got, you you have to honest. because it's been, because it's, it's been reported, right? Yep. Um, it's not like a W two. So ten ninety nines. I think you actually have to send a copy to the feds in order for them to. I don't well, they, know. No, they get a they copy. They do a get copy. a copy. They do. Get they get a copy. a copy from Reverb, and the only thing you're doing is saying yes. It was you me. acknowledge it, right? The, yeah. There are other there are other ways to actually file that. By the way, there's a there's a miscellaneous um yes income that, line, and you can offset that as well, but. Yeah, um, it was I put it in under it. right because I have a 1099R because I'm retired military. So all I did was I just put the put the damn thing in there. And, um, in my case, in my case, it made more sense to put it in his investment income, um, yep. just because it's a personal item and that I sold it and I got money yeah, back it, and um, I made money on some, I lost money on others, and overall I lost. So yeah, it um, said to me how much did it cost and how much did you you know I and I and so I was able to offset. It, but I'm just saying that it, it's. For me, I didn't have to do that this time because it was six hundred dollars, under six hundred dollars, so it didn't matter. But still, it just now the way that Norfolk does it is if you have you have to actually get a permit to do a lawn sale, and so if you do more than X number of lawn sales per year, mm-hmm. they charge you. Correct, correct, and we do that X here too. They do they do the permit thing here. Most most municipalities yeah. do that now. Yeah. Um, Actually, I haven't had a lawn sale in decades. So. Well, it's it's funny. So you bring that up. The six hundred dollars actually applies next year. That's that's a twenty twenty three tax code or twenty twenty two oh, okay. tax year two tax code. So twenty twenty one was was the I believe uh, uh ten thousand or twenty thousand uh, dollar amount. Oh, but but yeah. that said, if they've already reported it, your state right. needs to know. You'll probably get yep. all that money back. It'll have no effect on your taxes, regardless. Realistically, right. you probably should still be claiming that, but. It's just one of those things where like we don't get so I, I'm sure everybody gets income at some point during the year. Somebody hands you 20 just, bucks or, you know, but the thing is, they charge the in, they charge the the sales tax. Right. That's but, the thing that, that kills me. But I I, I realize that, that that's separate. I, I realize that I'm just saying they charge the sales tax when it's an individual and you're being honest about the sales tax. You're doing this part. Why is it that you have this this arbitrarily very low number? Six hundred dollars is an extremely low number. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I listen. I, I I am very 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 upset that that this has happened. But anyway, in terms of is vintage worth it? Right. So like, yeah. If you buy and sell vintage guitars, you're getting ten ninety nine k from here on out. Right. Yeah. That's that's something we're all going to have to be like sort of cognizant about now. Is that like. Every sale I make is going to count against me because I have to be able to offset that with the sales number for bringing an item in. Yep. Um, yep. And so even though like – and now now granted, when I said that I, I wrote off my stuff, what I was actually doing was like looking at what I paid for the item before I sold it. So I looked at each item on an individual basis just like you would stocks. Right. Um, so that, so that it would make sense in the grand scheme of things. Like I wasn't com- – I wasn't combining my Kiesel with my, you know – whatever right, else right. right it was like because that was one of the items i sold last year um with my mesa cabinet that i sold like those items they're separate yep. and i paid separate prices for them and so i made some on one and lost some on the other um 
And uh, so it is what it is, right? At the end of the day, that's it. And so with vintage guitars, like if you buy, um, if you buy a 70 Strat, like say five grand, right? Or 10, if they're probably going for 10 now. Um, and you sell it, what do you owe now, right? So so tax is a big liability, right? The yeah. other the other thing that that I wanted to pose a question about is vintage guitars and reliability. Okay. Well, yeah. So yeah. I um uh you do you have you ever watched the Doug and Pat show? They're like two old guys. Um, one guy has a pipe, and the other one, uh, and they they I don't think so. Play mostly vintage, mostly vintage equipment. I I, I mean, don't think I've ever watched it. Fifties Les Pauls, fifties Tellys yeah. and Strats. And Maybe. I think those guys might have been the ones that shot out the 57 Les Paul with the... Yes. Um, with a heritage, with a heritage. or something. Yeah, th- yep. I have seen them. Okay. Yep. yep. So they did a thing the other day where they read a quote from George Groon from 1979. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1979. So George Groon was writing for Guitar World. 1979. And what you just said was, was right out of that 1979 quote. George Groon was asked about vintage guitars in 1979. And he said back then that the guitars that were becoming collectible was the 1950s guitars. Sure. He was talking about the, the 50s Les Pauls and, and Strats and Tellys and the 40s, obviously. So this comes to a head when he said that, that not just like anything else, and of course in 1979 things were really different, just like everything else, not all those guitars are great. And he goes, and he goes, do you really want one? You know? And he goes, they're making guitars better now, but the guitars they're making better now. And this again, this is 79 Ibanez, right? That's a baby yeah. company in 1979. Um, sure. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, companies that don't even exist yet. Schechter, who's still at that point, I think making parts for Fender, um, or replacement parts, um, and so on and so forth. And he's saying the exact same thing. He's like, do you really want to buy a guitar that's that old? He goes that, that um, you know, there's there's a collectability, but it's not exactly a you know, it, that that doesn't mean it's a great guitar. And he was saying the same thing we've said a hundred times. It's that that just because the guitar exists and and was built back then, and and the Adams Jones is a great example. A 1979 Les Paul Custom was not a great guitar. It was not a sought-after guitar. Yeah, well, and so I know I had one. So that, no, but that becomes part of the problem, right? Well, now we're talking su- subjective stuff, right? And um, I want to talk about cool factor a little bit here, right? So yep, I think yep. we all pretty much agree that a vintage guitar is going to be harder to fix, harder to maintain, and probably not as well built as one you would buy just off the shelf today. In a lot of ways, because it's just weathered a lot of abuse, right? Um, and the second you have to refret it, re rewind the pickups. There goes your value. And, but there goes the value. But but the value may not ma- matter to to some people that listen to the show, right? right? Like I that right. I understand. Right. If you're buying it to play it, like I understand that. But I, but I'm going right. to get get a couple things out here. So like the cool factor, right? So like people people think like I want to be cool like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I want to buy a sixty one, right. which he wasn't playing a sixty one anyways, like a sixty two with a sixty one neck or something. Um, yep. And I want to buy that, you know, that style of guitar and like people lust after that stuff and they just get to this point in their life where it's like, I've got enough money and I can buy one and, you know, as God is my witness, I'm going to do something stupid and here we go. 
Um, and it's always the guy in like a bar band or, you know, like if you've ever run into somebody who collects vintage guitars, it's kind of hilarious who they are because it's rarely like, you know, player, player kind of people, like people that right. are in like the A-list or B-list. I it's, mean, yeah, it, they have a lot of those guitars, but yeah, you always run into somebody who's like my age, who's got like, you know, a trust fund and he's using it to buy, you know, um, 70s Les Pauls, which is like. That's weird. Why would you be doing that? Um, but anyway, yeah. So like, they're like, oh, I'm really into to um, I'm really into Fenders, and like, I'm gonna buy a '61 because it's a guitar I've always wanted. And then they go and buy one, and it's got like problems with the neck or something. You know, like it's either twisted or, and it's like the cool factor. You know, I'm just I'm just pointing out like the cool factor has this guy really excited about this thing that isn't even half as good as what he can buy off the shelf now because it's more playable because maybe it sounds better. I don't know. I, I, I think that's a totally subjective thing. I think you can probably for most people pick something up off the shelf. It may not have that cool factor. And that's a big part of this, right? So like people buy these things because they get it in their head that that's the only way they can do something. And, and I, I am guilty of this. I have an amp one. And quite frankly, I thought the only way I could do things with with big box heads and stuff like that, like I always kind of felt like I didn't have the right level of tonal quality. Right. And I bought the amp one. I'm totally happy with it. I'm like, what the yeah. hell? Like this, this shouldn't even be a thing. Um, but hey, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to try to uh, get out of that. Um, I, being happy is good. Um, so. I guess what I'm getting at here is that people make bad decisions based on how they think something is going to be. And then they end up with it. And like, it might be a good decision, might be a bad decision. If, if you buy a 61 and the neck is slightly screwed up, right? Like you could have the neck planed and adjusted so you can get it playable. But if you just spent $20,000 on a 61, like you're not spent 20, you probably spent 40. If you spent $40,000 on a 61 and the neck is slightly twisted and you have to take it and get adjusted, you're not going to have that money. But the vast majority of us who are in that boat are going to be like, first off, who the hell do I take it to? Because you don't just take that to your local guy. I'm sorry, that's a, a like an heirloom investment quality guitar. And you'd have yep. to take that to somebody who knows what they're doing. Maybe even the right. Fender Custom Shop to get them to fix yep. it. Um, and then on top of that, you're in a situation now where you have this guitar that you spend all this money on that's basically unplayable until you get it fixed, which means if that's your one guitar, you know, you're kind of screwed. Now, I'm also, like, of the frame of mind, not every vintage guitar is a 61 Strat, too. Like, there are a lot of people that collect old harmonies and stuff, and those are okay. Like, I'm not going to dispute those people, but you guys are in a much different class of cost basis, right? So, like... You're buying a $2,000 guitar that guys will work on, you know, um, yep. and be willing to gut it or do whatever you want to it. And that, that's a whole other animal. So I know um, I know at least of one person who had a vintage Strat. I don't know what year it was, but they were telling me, like, I wanted to get some work done to it and they wouldn't touch it. And it wasn't because, like, the guitar was in bad shape. It was because... They're like, we're not, we're not modifying that. Like that, that's pristine. It's like, it's like, you know, it came out of a time machine. We're not touching that. That's, that's bad for, you know, it's a bad look for us. Um, yep. But it's like, 
he owns it. Why the hell won't you do what he's asking? Um, I, you know, I'm kind of like of that frame of mind. It's like people should do with what what they want with guitars, right? Whatever they want. Exactly. Uh, I'm not a fan of collectors of vintage gear. I think uh, I think people who collect for collecting sake kind of suck. Um, well, it's different if you're going to use it, because uh, I think that those guitars deserve to be in players hands. Uh, I mean, yep. what the hell good is a, a great sounding 60 Strat if I can't pick it up and play it? Um, right. You know, so there's been this whole hedge fund thing where like people are buying guitars and reselling them and driving the prices up and they might have 50 of the same color Strat because they know that that's the one that they only made a certain amount of and they've got most of them so they can drive the market up on that particular color. And if you don't think that goes on, it absolutely does go oh, on. Does. Of course it um, does. Of course it does. Look at look at the, what happened with the uh, with those darn, I mean, they're not even vintage. Those darn PRS uh, Silver Skies. Every freaking time he comes out with a color. Yeah. The next day it's on reverb uh, for, you know, double or triple the price. Right, right. So like, This thing is on sale on reverb still for more money than I paid for it. Another thing to note here, so like just talking about the the price side of vintage guitars before we kind of move on to the next section. Um, the price side of vintage guitars, like right now, it's going up. And it's not like for a while it was like sort of staying the same. Um, yeah. It was, you know, if you wanted a 57, you were going to pay $150,000 to $200,000. And that was basically yeah. what you were going to pay. And it stayed that way for like five or six years running into 2021. 2021 so like 2020 was the year that things like started to become scarce right and people were buying like you know whatever was out and then like that drove the market because even now we're still having shortages of being able to get products and we're talking about stuff from pedals all the way up to guitars right and that happened on the vintage market too because you can see that the prices have gone up um now, granted, what you're seeing on reverb is a reactionary thing because people are putting their prices higher thinking they're going to get more. doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case, especially with vintage gear. Like I've said, right. most of these vintage guys, they ain't buying on reverb, okay? I'm just going to put that myth right out the pasture. Uh, those guys know each other. The collectors know each other. They have each other's phone numbers in Rolodexes and they call each other and talk about what they have. And they know that, gotcha. that Charles has got this and I'm going to call, I'm going to call Chucky up and I'm going to make an offer. He can't refuse kind of shit. And that's what goes on all the time. So when you were talking yeah. about the $20,000, 60, 64 or whatever, I'm like, yeah, that's because, you know, if you're not in the yeah, click yet, that's right. your price. Cause that, that's the thing. A Trogley guy, how do you think Trogley, anybody, I'm not talking about you. Cause I know you know how it happens. How does P, how do people think that Trogley makes money on these guitars? That he, that he, he ain't buying them for what he's selling them. <laughs> that's for damn no, sure. Of course not. He's buying them at dealer prices or it, or, or it less. inside the, right. Or inside the, the, the circle prices, um, makes a little money on the video on top of it. Um, but for the most part, um, he brings in a guitar. He quote unquote documents it, which I'm I'm shocked and and amazed that he does. He bothers doing the uh, the playing demo still. Um, I looked at a playing demo from because um, I, I just happened to be like, okay, it, there's got to be a change in this. And so I looked at a playing demo from like nine years ago, and a playing demo from now. Not only is he using the exact same chords, but he's. It's, 
it's just as out of tune as it was <laughs> yeah and, it, but but it, on the on the thing on, on the thing nine years ago it says out of tune this this is coming to a point but that's because Trogli is not a player and, and and i don't think he claims to be he's not out there going yeah I'm, i was at a gig last weekend or had you know a gig tonight or whatever he just thinks guitars are cool right he's not like rick nielsen who's like i don't know how many i have i mean um he has you know I, I think nielsen actually is a business guy and he does business dealings and so and a trogli can he's one of the few people that can reach out to rick nielsen and go hey rick i've got this guitar yeah. or hey joe i've got this guitar right you know and even in the professional community there is a limited number of people who aren't pros who those people go to and say hey do you have this do you have that yeah and so they're the, the click store so like the collectors click from what i've heard um, the collector's click doesn't really interface as much with pro player click as people think they do. Joe Bonamas is one of the rare examples where the collector's click will actually put guitars in his hands um, right. to get him to play them and loan. Um, that's and that's just to say, well, Joe had this one, you know. Yeah, um, this one went on tour with Joe and here's some pictures of him with it in whether it's Guitar World or something. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, and then it's important to note that, like, part of that is because of the pedigree of those guitars, in a lot of cases, is already, like, it's already been played by this guy and this guy and this guy. So now putting yep. it in Joe's hands is just, you know, that's one yeah, more, one more step up the ladder, right? Um, right? And for them, that's a way to increase the value of their investment. Um, right. You'd think that they would be more apt to do that with other players in that sphere, but I think they sort of recognize Joe as being the vintage guy. And so like, yep. that's a big deal to have his seal of approval. So right. um, that's part of it. Right. But like the other yep. thing to note is that the guys that actually do have a bunch of vintage Les Pauls, um, they're all pretty close knit. So like, yeah, I saw, so you watch the Gibson gear garage and like, you can see the same guys uh, get mentioned and there that's are right. a, a small group of people that are supporting them like norm um yep. who have access to stuff that you're not going to find easily um right. and you think norm has all his fancy guitars laying on the i mean that's why they used to go into the back room and and he has stuff in a vault too that's not in the store um right you know and when you when you watch those videos he takes whether it's with uh you know um joe Badamasa or um Orianti sitting at the at the uh, couch. You don't see any like me in the background looking at guitars. He doesn't need me there. He and that's you know I don't necessarily think that's a private room. I think they just kind of say okay we got they may be shooting it, they may even be shooting it after hours. You do see people right, in there, or but it's not, you, right, you do right, see people in there, but it's never like really bad. Um, right, right. So. And I don't know. I haven't been to Norm's, so like I'm. Some of this is me talking on my ass, to be honest. But like well, I've heard, yeah, I went to, there is a vault that that yeah. he maintains that is not in the store um, that right. has other stuff. Um, well, it makes sense because otherwise somebody would know exactly where to steal all his stuff. Like that guy that got his stuff stolen from the from the. Um, uh, well, you'd have to be dumber than a box of rocks to steal from Norm because everybody knows what Norm has, other than yeah, the stuff that's in would. the vault. Um, I'm just saying, well, none of these people are smart that do the stealing. True. I mean, I mean, yeah, we all know that for the for the most part. But I think in his case, it would have to be a pretty organized group of individuals. Right, right. <laughs> but if, yeah. but um, there was a place in, uh, I, 
Kentucky. What's the uh, what's the famous city? Name a famous city in Kentucky. It was um, Louisville. On the Ohio River. Louisville. Huh? Louisville. It's right in Louisville. There was this beautiful guitar shop, and it, it, it's like this little place along the river in Louisville, Kentucky. It's out, but it's outside of the city. It's in this nice little picturesque place. And I'm like, geez, it says a guitar shop. And we drove past it twice before I found it. Um, that's how like out of the way it is. But when we got inside, they had like a, a stage and they had a um, a seating room. And a, yeah, that's for the VIPs. That's where they shoot their stuff. So and this was shit six years ago. Yeah. So that that goes on. Sure. Sure. Especially if you have extra mm-hmm. space. But I right. think uh, I think most of these stores are space challenged. <laughs> yeah, but but the but the fact is, whether they're Spain's challenge and they're doing it before or after hours or whatever, um, the the fact, or a lot of times they'll have these. They they know they're there, so they'll do like a meet and greet thing, yeah. and then they'll they'll have people stand behind the ropes, right. and that way the the thing gets done. But they know that behind the camera, there's like forty people waiting to get autographs or whatever. But the, but my point is, it's an inside group that does yeah. a lot of this stuff, and and. That goes to what we talked about with that guy that owned all those guitars, but he had a storage unit. Yeah. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Right, right. Well, you know, you people, know what I mean? people tend to think that like guitars are not a attractive item for theft, which I don't right. understand that part of it because we all no, they fear. Are. If you've ever talked to a guitarist, you know, they sort of fear theft to, to an extent. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I've got a. Well, we'll talk about so, some more. Some, well, more, some more than others coming up, right? Yeah. So, some more than others. So, um, but uh, you know, be this me. The whole point is like, is vintage worth it? You need to ask yourself if you're if you're in the market for for a vintage right. guitar. A couple of questions you need to ask yourself: What am I buying this for? Um, right. I would encourage you to think about the cool factor question, which was something that I suggested. Was like, are you buying it because it's cool? Or are you buying it because? You know, you actually think it sounds good. Um, right. Ask yourself, can I really afford this? Because uh, I have met people who couldn't. Like they're buying, they're buying, <laughs> they need a new car and they need, you know, they need to move, but they're buying, you know, a $10,000 strap. And you're going, what? Um, you should ask yourself, um, if you can afford it from the perspective of maintenance and taxes and also insurance. Uh, we didn't cover right. insurance here, but basically it's going to be going to spend more on insurance, right? It's worth more. Um, so uh, now I'm pretty sure, Jim, you've had some flirtations with vintage stuff and I know I have too. Um, so I have a segment here called one that got away and we just, I figured we could share a vintage guitar um, that we had our hands on. If you don't have a vintage one, we could talk about an old one or we can talk about something else uh, that, that got away. But um, I, I'm going to share mine, which I think I've actually shared on the, sto- <laughs> on, on the show before, but uh, it's worth bringing up the story. So I was, um, of all places, I was at Guitar Center in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Okay, and yep. um, I was actually shopping at the time for... Uh, a more metal style guitar and they had they had some good stuff in i actually wound up buying a charvel that they had but i didn't buy it the day i was there uh the day that i saw this which was they had a pair of sgs okay 
they had a it was like uh i want to say it was like a 63 or a 64 um and then they had like a 66 okay and uh, so one of them was an sg um special and one of them was an sg standard i want to say the standard Mm -hmm. they wanted six thousand for okay but the special they only wanted like two grand for it so i figured something about it wasn't original but it was you know it's p90s and Mm -hmm. um i picked that guitar up the guitar weighed like nothing it had to be like four pounds i mean it was just ridiculous uh and i think it's just you know sgs when they get older um because there's nothing to them they just they're like paper like (laughs) they they weigh nothing um and I plugged it into, and I'll never forget this. It was an angle fireball that they had sitting there, 50 watt head on top of a uh, 1960A slant with greenbacks. And I know that because I was going to buy the cab and somebody bought it while I was there. Um, so uh, this thing just howled. And it, I was a fast playing guitar because the neck had been wor- basically worn thin, right? And it had um, basically no finish on the neck left. Uh, plenty of wear. I mean, this guitar had just been beat to shit. Um, and uh, somebody had moved the strap pin um, to the upper horn. So not on the front of the upper horn, but the upper horn so it would balance better. And that was a common mod that done back in the day. And the guitar, it appeared to be really old because the screw that was there was rusty and like... Um, so I think it had been moved a long time ago. Um, and it was just, it was a great guitar and I think they wanted 2000 or 2,500 for it. It was like really inexpensive. And I remember looking at it, um, and thinking like, this is really not what I'm looking for right now, but man, that's such a great guitar. And I put it back and I decided not to buy it. And I, I didn't really have the money at the time, but I mean, like when you encounter something, so, so more on that in a minute, uh, but well, no, I'll share. So when you encounter something like that, you start thinking like, what credit cards do I have? Like, what, you know, how do I make this happen? Because there's something special about that situation. And at the time I was like, no, I'm not going into new debt for this. Like as mm-hmm. good as it is, there will always be another one. And I sort of moved on and I've asked myself ever since. And it's actually the reason that I have money right now is because I'm like, man, I really wish I'd have bought that guitar. You know, like, and have literally just kicked myself. So now I was actually talking to, to a friend the other day. So everybody knows on the show, uh, if you remember the year of no gear, I talked about um, apportioning money aside into a stock account for when I went to GearFest um, to uh, basically acquire gear. So that I was, it was like a high interest yield account, right? Like I could, and, and, and I got real good at that. Over the last couple of years, I make decent amounts of money when I have money invested in the market. So like right now, for example, um, I have my money in stuff that's low risk. Uh, It's not just low risk, but it's like it's low risk and safe, which means that people Mm -hmm. are actually investing in that right now, which means I'm actually accruing value right now. Um, It's not it's not 2020 anymore. I can't I can't go buy GameStop and make thousands like I did on that. But I but I do have we want to get Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, and you just end up paying taxes on it anyway. So you just got to kind of remind yourself it, it's not joking. a tax. It's not a tax shelter. Um, yeah, no. So right now where I'm at, well, no, believe me, I was paying very, very close attention to what was going on with Elon and Twitter. Um, 
but I, I've got my money put in the right place. And, uh, so I've got, I got some money put away and I'm kind of thinking like, if I come across that guitar right now, like I'm in a unique position where if I come across the right thing, I don't have to panic. I can just be like, you know what? This one's not getting away this time. So I have my weapon against my, uh, against, you know, like Ahab, I'm, I'm ready for the next white whale. Like, right. Bring it on. Um, which is unique because I wasn't the last time and I've actually had it happen twice. One was that guitar and one was an acoustic guitar that I have never seen another like it. Uh, it was a Taylor Cedar, I think a GS, it wasn't a GS, it, not a mini, like the Grand Symphony. And I want to say it was like a GS2 or something. And I have never, and believe me, anybody who knows me, I'm not a big Taylor guy. Um, but that particular one was just phenomenal. And it was mm-hmm. hanging at Sam Ash for like 1700 bucks. And I, and I actually had the money, but I had, I was like, I'm not, I can't, I can't do this right now. So I didn't right, buy it. Right. And when I went back, it was gone. Yep. Um, so I just said, we're not doing that ever again. And I, and I actually maintain this account at a certain level so that I don't, I don't have that moment. Right. Um, right. Where you look at it and go, that's the one that got away. I ha- I have a couple. I've had a couple of things like it's like my album that's that I'm doing right now is getting financed out of there. So if I have to buy stuff, I just take you know a little bit here and there to. But it go. But I put it back right. So uh, I maintain it at a certain level, and that's how I that's how I operate now because I know that uh, at some point, as long as I'm outperforming uh, the market average. I'm going to be able to con- consistently have the amount of money that, you know, put away the same amount of money that ma- theoretically would match the, the value of the industry and that whole, that whole thing. Right. Right. So anyway, what's your one that got away? I know we kind of strayed a bit there, but I thought it was important to share that strategy with listeners. Um, are we referring to something I own and got away or something that, uh, uh, uh well, it could be, but I'm, I'm just sorry. Was, I, like, I was thinking was more of like the vintage style of things, like something you, something that got away like it could be something you owned uh i don't see that why that would be a problem yeah i mean obviously my 79 last paul custom yeah um got away it would be worth 10 times what i paid for it um which 1979 to now that's quite a bit um that's that beats inflation can we talk Um, about the inflation calculator for a minute and that whole thing because i know we talked about that off the show yeah the cpi yeah. We talked that we talked about that off the show, like Gibson and inflation, and like people say, like, mm-hmm. well, the cur- the current Les Paul standard is the same with inflation. No, it's not. Yeah. It's it's actually about four hundred or I think we said it was four six between four and six hundred dollars more than the regular uh, rate of inflation, which is which is really interesting. Um, I understand that people want to use the inflation calculator and take it at its root value, but what you have to understand about inflation is that inflation in a particular industry makes assumptions about all industries being equal. Right. It's right. not necessarily it's, the case. It's right. The CPI is based on basic, right. Basic in, income. Um, and what's your value of the dollar against. Um, that's why I was telling my son the other day or today. I said, you can't look at inflation. It, it's a misleading like, metric. Right. They're like, well, um, uh, gas is up by this much. And last I checked, that's not 7.9%. I'm like, no, it's not. It's the overall value of the dollar based on the um, the buying power against, you know, 
certain other thing, you know, and I don't want to get some things are much more inflated than others. Right. Like housing, like housing prices right now are up 20%, 20%, which is why I'm like, there's obviously some things that are cheaper that are balancing this out. Um, That's right. So. Right. um, And some things that just aren't being bought. And so that it's not only cheaper, it's got no value at all. But anyway, so. So I said, yeah. And so, you know, you would have to have the CPI based on the musical instruments, based on the time frame, based on the mean income of, of individuals who were purchasing the item at the time, based on the mean income of the purple people, people who would purchase the items now, which is a completely different thing. That's a different demographic. You know, you didn't have um, uh, a lot of you didn't have a guitar collector the way you do now. And so in 19, let's say 1957, 58, when the Les Pauls were coming out, those, those guitars were not being bought by Trogley. No. Or a guy like Trogley. Actually. A, a trust fund kid or whatever he is. It, it got the money. It, it, it's based on that. That was working musicians who, purchased those guitars whether they were les paul's fenders the you know whatever instrument company at the time i really think this is an interesting topic i want to pursue this more i know that you were talking about your your late 70s les paul um 79 i believe um but i actually think this is sort of more interesting uh to explore the the inflation side so the one thing that i think people miss when they hear that that cpi number and they compare it to les paul standard at least um, for a lot of a lot of people, they were looking at the price from the twenty. I think it was the 2017, 2018, where they had the, the inexpensive one, right? It was like yeah. uh, uh, two thousand. It was like two thousand flat or like eighteen hundred dollar less ball. And yep. um, it, this is why this is why I sort of laugh about it because back then, electric guitars were not popular. Right. Like when that when the Les Paul was out, like it was the most popular, you know, electric guitar of its time for up until the late 50s. And then, you know, of course, things started to break down. And um, so the Strat actually sort of took over at that time period for a while. And the Telecaster, you know, continued to be popular. And then there were other guitars that people were buying and so forth. Um, But really, guitar at that time was like I would say guitar itself was more popular, but the population was much smaller so there was less demand for it um, yep. than there is today. But the but at the same token, demand per size of population, g- demand for guitars right now has got to be through the floor. I mean, it's oh, got yeah. compared compared to like the roof. No, no. Opposite. Um, well, now because 2020, it's a little bit different. Right. But like per person in the United States, guitar probably I would say is probably oh, yeah, yeah, less in demand than, say, like the 1970s, 1980s, where there were literally millions of people in the United States who probably listed their income on their taxes as musicians because you could right. you could be a musician back then and play gigs locally in bars yep. and make you enough make money. money to support yourself. That's right. Um that's not something that happens today. That just I mean yep. I know a few people but it's it's got to be 1% of the number that it used to be. I mean it's it's tiny amounts of people. Um so like that's that's what I was getting at. So like the amount of people that have the money for that that particular instrument did not drive that price up. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like if anything, um, 
the, the demand for it's probably gone down because there's so many people willing to buy an Epiphone and say it's as good as, and maybe oh, yeah. that, and maybe that had an effect on the price more than the amount of people, like the actual quantity of people willing to buy one and, you know, in the versus the overall amount of population. Right. So per capita. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about it. There was nobody walking around in 1979 going, going, this Epiphone is just as good. Yeah, because there were no Epiphones no. that were being produced in 1979 that were Gibson-like. Um, yeah. In fact, I don't think Epiphone was even being produced at that time. I think they pulled the plug on them in the late 70s, did they not? And then brought them back yeah, in the late 80s? And brought them back, yeah. Yeah, because I thought there was – because I thought they like – they pulled the plug in like 78 and then brought them back in like 88 – um, you'd have to look. I I'm not I'm not googling that. Looking but. it up right now, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, and, and because there were a lot of lawsuit guitars, I think it was in a response to the lawsuit guitars, the Ibanezes, which were great guitars, by the way. I mean, um, and uh, I mean Gibson wouldn't have sued them into the floor if it wasn't for the fact that they were great guitars. Yeah. Um. Well, that know. that's debatable. I mean, they did sue Dean, so. Yeah, well, Dean, I don't know why it's called Dean. But. Yeah, there's no such thing as a 1979 Les Paul um, custom or Les Paul at all in uh, Epiphone for that year. Right, and they were, and they were brought back. You know, like you said, first of all, who, nobody's running around trying to find a 1982 or 88 or whatever year it was they brought them back. That's nobody's running around trying to find that first year Epiphone. Right, right, right. Unless they want a birth year guitar. Okay, because you were born in what, 85? I was born in 84. 84, okay. So figure um, if you were born in 84 and and uh, the, the Epiphone came out, let's say 84. Let's say it did come out in 84. I don't know. Let's say it did. And you were – that might be the only reason you bought a 1984 Epiphone Les Paul or whatever was because you wanted a birth year one just so you could hang it on the wall and go, yeah, that's my birth year guitar. You wouldn't be for playing. And this is the yeah. thing that, that exactly goes right to what you were just talking about. So back then, late 70s is when the, the boon started picking up, just started for collecting, right? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, wouldn't even know, I don't even know if I would and say nobody, that. I, and nobody, literally nobody bought 70s era, Norlin era guitars were not the ones. As a matter of fact, Groon himself in that interview, and that that's what I was going to get at next. Says Groon himself is in that interview said the current le, the current Gibson Fenders suck. Okay, so he was talking about the right now, which was 1979 um, and late 70s. Um, Les Pauls and Fenders were bad, and so. To, to then make them, just because Adam Jones had one that he liked and did what he did to it, and it turned, doesn't mean that every – now you can't get a I, $79 I played Paul a couple of $10,000 isn't a lefty. I played several Les Paul Customs from the New Orleans era that I thought were good guitars. And, mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, it, that's why I said like some of that's all subjective bullshit, right? Like, that's right. So you could say, well, yeah, because the guitar is a pancake body and it weighs a ton. It right. sucks. Right. But some other guys like, dude, that's what it's supposed to be like. That's and what, it plays yeah, some great. Some people want it. Right. You know, that's exactly the subjective side of it. But the but the point I'm making is that goes back to what you were talking about. The people who are buying now, the right now player, how many, how many YouTube channels and whatever are full of people 
and and um, McKnight was talking about this, full of people who just buy a bunch of guitars. Oh yeah, and don't play most of them. Look including, at Charlie. Including, There's including, no f- including McKnight himself. Right, and McKnight admits it, and he's like, <laughs> if a guitar doesn't get played within a certain amount of time, out the door. And I mean, you know, he went down to one vehicle for that very reason. He was like, Look, I don't even use both my vehicles. Sold it. But the point is um, that you take a you guy you take a guy like Trogley, he could play all of his guitars every day, once a day, and he wouldn't get five he, minutes on either one. Yeah. And so you and I had to laugh when he goes, Yeah, this is the Stratocaster I take out when I want to play a strat. I'm like, and it's the it's th- that the, thing uh, looks brand new. That thing has not been played. Yeah, probably. like how long have you ta- how you never play strats, do you? Um, yeah, you obviously don't play a Stratocaster at all. Um, and, and the point that I'm making there is, you know, somebody like him, you know, again, I'm not taking away it, his he is not the player guy. He's not Rick Nielsen, who's also a collector. He's not Bottomasa, that's also a collector. It's not that guy that plays for REO Speedwagon or um, is it REO or no. Yeah, Ario and uh, uh, Sticks or whatever. He, not Sticks, um, Porter, who, who is not a player. He, or who is a player. Chogley is a collector, and that's what he does, and he does it. That, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, anybody, oh, Jim's tr- slamming Chogley. No, I'm just slamming the fact that he doesn't play well. I would probably get somebody else to do my demos for me. But um, uh, the, the point that I'm making here is this, that... Those are the people that are buying these guitars. They're the ones pushing these prices up. Yes. And it's because you've got a guy, and this is the thing that I was talking about with Phil McKnight, there will be a person that's comfortable buying 45 Fireflies. Yeah. Right? And I'm I'm exaggerating now. Or Sawtooth. Probably. Right. Or Sawtooth or whatever. Sorry, Michael. The, yeah. The inexpensive <laughs> guitars. There's also a person who is comfortable buying... 18 or 20 Les Pauls. Okay. And some of them are, I, I knew a, I knew a guy who had 19 Les Pauls because he was trying to catch up with Rick Nielsen. I'm like, you're never going to catch him. This guy's a lawyer and he was a player. I said, you're never going to catch Rick Nielsen. Um, but at that time that was uh, 2002, 2003 and maybe 2001, but he had 19, you know, vintage Les Pauls. And he played two of them regularly. But but the, the thing is that those two he played, those were the players' grade, you know, things that he played. Uh, we we forget that there's a there's a market of people that's out there that just want to say, how many times have you been in a, in a in a thing where they said, I just bought a brand new Les Paul um and I've already changed out the pickups. Three months later they're selling it. Yeah. They're dumping it on because right? they bought the wrong damn guitar to begin with. Because they bought a guitar they thought they wanted. They bought a guitar over the cool factor. That's instead, exactly what instead of buying one that they'd actually use, which is why I've yep. I've encouraged you to not think about looks and stuff as well. Right. Because well, again, that's yeah. And I have to, I fight that I have that feeling. I can't I can't I not understand. Have the I, I understand. But sometimes right. you've got to accept that the good-looking guitar isn't what you need. No. Um, it's just a tool, right? Like, it's just right. a tool. And I find myself telling myself that every time I go in guitar stores now. It's yeah. just a tool. 
Too many times I've looked at a Stratocaster and thought that's a gorgeous Strat. I'd love to take that. I, I did that today. Same uh, at the Guitar Center. I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, it's oh, so funny when people say that to no, me because it's like Strats are Strats aren't even known for having like good wood or anything. It's just like color and you know. Yeah. Um, it was just this gorgeous color, and I'm like, it's a solid color. The the, the <laughs> it's just a fucking Strat. I have a great Strat. I have a Strat I love. It, whether it's great for somebody else. That doesn't matter to me. You know it's what? great for me. Jim, you know what helps? Just don't go to guitar stores. Break I the, need to stay out of there. Break the, when break I bring the cycle. My, well, my son goes to lessons. Well, and so he, I have to sit there for an hour. Sit in the car. That's when I have to start. Listen to some music. Message me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me not to buy this gold top. No. <laughs> Jim, no, what the hell are you thinking? Jim, what the hell are you thinking? You already own a gold top. Um, I need this gold top. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, um, um, and, and that's the thing, though. But if if I was a person who had gold top buying money and I was that that stupid, I might buy it. And then I put it away. And then and then just like those guys, I'm like, yeah, this has been sitting here in a box. It came in three months ago and I'm I'm pulling it out now. And I'm like, really? Really? The, it, it, I, I'm not it's a fan. A tool. That's like if you get a wrench and you're like, you know what? I got this really cool wrench in the in the in the mail yesterday. Because <laughs> it's a tool to me. These guitars get played. And and I I just don't I, don't, I don't see it. I mean, I've got one guitar that doesn't get played. It's literally right there. And that's because it's an ovation 12 string. And it's just so I can remind myself why I don't own another 12 string. Yeah, because you're a pain in the ass. You're a pain um, in the ass. I don't <laughs> so before we, before we hop off this topic, um, yeah. did you want to talk about the 79 that got away or? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I've told the story before. I bought it. I spent a lot of time saving up for it. I did everything I could to save up for it. I bought it, and my mother sold it. When you went to, and, when you went into the navy, yeah. Now I'm sure that that you know there's her story, my story, and the one in between. Yeah, but I'm sure my story is a little more um, a little more close to what actually happened. But <laughs> I went in the navy. She was giving my room to my brothers. She sold everything. Um, that wasn't mine. I even, she even got rid of my Star Wars sheets. I mean, yeah. um, gave them to Goodwill or something. So I don't even have my old Star Wars sheets. Um, and it's funny the stuff she did keep. Hey, you know, you used to love this. Do you still want? I'm like, you didn't save my Les Paul, but you saved those. Yeah, um, but you you threw away my priceless Star Wars sheets. Uh, I just bought a shirt. This is a true story. I didn't buy it. My daughter bought it for me for my birthday this year because my birthday's coming up next month. I saw this uh, shirt on Facebook ads, and you know how I share these stupid ads all the time. But it was an ad for a shirt that had those sheets. It was used. It literally was the Star Wars sheets. It was the exact pattern. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I want that shirt. It was $70 for a button-up short sleeve shirt. $70. She bought it for me. Um, because to get my sheets back, imagine, you know, the the less – Here's the thing about the the one that got away. So just about, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, I was in a store. I don't remember which one. And I saw Gibson Les Paul custom black from 1979. And I was like, do I buy it? Do I buy it? And, at, 
And that at that time, it was only probably thirty five hundred dollars. Um, you know, so like I, I don't think I mean, if you run across something like that, and you really want it, buy it, but then sell one yeah. of the other ones. Right. Like make yourself hold yourself accountable. And it's not because exactly. you need the money, but because I don't need this other one. Um, and right. I, I, all right. Real talk before we move on. See pedals back here on the shelf. There are yep. pedals up here on the shelf above that are actually going to move. That shelf is going to move over here and you won't see it on the show anymore. Um, and I have pedals on two pedal boards. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have too many damn pedals. Um, yep. And I've been coming to terms with the fact that like I built that big ass MIDI board and I was all excited about it. You know what I haven't used? Big ass that MIDI big board. ass MIDI board. And I am probably going to make some changes. Some, some things are going to get sold. Um, which I told myself, we're not going to start selling pedals again because when we did that, like that just gave us an avenue to buy and sell, buy and sell. Um, but I have, so like I've told myself, if I'm going to do anything, I have to commit to what I'm doing before I do it. Um, right. And so that's what I'm doing, right? I'm working on that right now. But but like the whole pro the whole thought process there is like, when you start, like a lot of people, a lot of people do it the right way. The right way is I need an overdrive. So they go and they look at a bunch of overdrives. They pick the one that works for them. And then if another one comes along, that's better than the overdrive they have. They sell the one to get the other one. Um, and they have like slots that they think about that they're going to use on their board. And this is what I've tried to get into, but I keep killing myself partially because I run a guitar podcast, which has me thinking about gear all the time when I shouldn't be. Um, I, this this podcast is bankrupt to me. Let's be real. I've spent a lot of freaking money that I would not normally spend if it wasn't for this guitar podcast. I can um, point to these two right here. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's a big that's a big part of it, right? So like, um, if we all well, had that mentality, like we had slots in our lineup, like Jim, for you, I could say, I got one Les Paul and I need a backup Les Paul. Right. And so, then like I have it's really all I need. Right. And then I have like a strat and maybe a spot for a telly and maybe, you know, an, an acoustic and a backup acoustic. Like I could see that because because I even think the strat and the telly are like kind of they, they sit in the same territory. I know I'm I, yeah. they're not the same thing. I want to make that very clear to people, but they sit in the same territory. So it's yep. easy to be like. I got slots. I'm, I'll just get the best one I can get of each one. And if I find one better then I got to swap one of the other two. And yeah. if you approach it that way, you're never going to be so super over invested in what you're doing. Um, yeah, can we, can we add a little something after we move on from this topic? Can we add something in there? Cause I want to talk about that whole slot thing. Yeah, sure. No, we can do that right now. All right. So here's, here's the thing about the slots, right? I've got four Les Pauls hanging behind me. There's, there's one bonus segment two three four right bonus this is the bonus segment there's the telecaster there's my stratocaster and there's my prs um silver sky which is also a stratocaster so i have a stratocaster and a backup stratocaster that's the truth i mean that's yeah. that's what they are okay do i really need four less pauls absolutely not which one do i get rid of i don't know because i love all four of them and 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 that is difficult for me because I should. I should sell two of them. No, yeah, yeah, listen, but, nobody's telling you what to do. 
Don't no, no. start to look not nuts. <laughs> Sh- not right, right, Jim. Nobody's telling you you shouldn't have four hundred pairs of shoes, but just in case. Um, or all the, you, what you don't see is the hundreds of Funko Pops in my house. I'm just saying it um, should it should be it should be harder for you to bring another one into the fold at this point. That's you, absolutely correct. I don't want to bring one of them. Thinking so about, I've thinking, thinking about space, thinking about you know right. all the different things that are a part of that. But I've been thinking about buying a what you just talked about a backup acoustic because I can't stand the thought of bringing my hummingbird to a gig at the beach. I I just it, it boggles the mind, right? So I thought, okay, I, I love playing it, but it doesn't get a lot of gigging time because I don't like taking it out for two reasons. One, an acoustic's easier to break than an electric. We could uh, talk about how trigger became trigger for Willie Nelson, right? Right, right. And two, and more importantly, that's a prize guitar for me. That's the one that would have got away if I let it get away, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm looking at a mini Koa E, mini E Koa, the, yeah, the Taylor. The... And the only reason I'm looking at the Koa is because the Koa has a nice, uh, even um, output of of tones the really co is the better the best of the the, the lineup because they have the Honestly, they have the mahogany the koa and the and the um and the spruce or the whatever. spruce and the spruce the spruce the sitka spruce is, okay, too, yeah. is too bright and yep. the uh the mahogany is too dark too dark yep and the but that koa is it's right that's the goldie right in the middle and actually quite frankly if you're going to plug it in those guitars are fantastic except yep. for the the scale length can be a challenge for a lot of people because it's like yeah, twenty three. It's, it's like twenty three point yeah. seven five or something. Right. Um, right. Ridiculously short. But if you're going to do what I do on an acoustic, I'm not. Yeah, you're, you're courting. You know, I mean, I'm courting. Even if it's just bar chords, I'm courting. And so I'm like, you know what? Could do that, but it's a thousand dollars. Now here's one that are got away. Are they a thousand dollars now? Well, for the one I want. Um, well, that, it's eight ninety nine for the one that's not a plus top, and it's it's a thousand ninety nine for the plus top. You don't need the plus I don't top. need the plus top. No, no, no. I was just saying. Yeah. I don't need the plus top, which means it's eight ninety nine. But the same exact guitar. That's another one that got away, and it goes to what we've talked about already, which is pricing. Same exact guitar was six hundred dollars or six fifty two years ago. Not even two years ago. And if I go on Reverb right now and I look for a Mini Koa E. It's six ninety nine. It's six ninety nine for used. Yeah, I mean, I think there are better values out there for that. Just go get yourself a Seagull S six. Um, they're they're like the basic guitar. I mean, it's just here. Here's an acoustic with a cutaway, right? Like that's an S six, and it yep. it will knock your socks off when you play it like long enough. It'll start to open up, and you'll be like, oh my god, this is like a Martin. Uh, mm-hmm. it's like a good Martin, right? Um, not like a Stratabond Martin, you know, plywood Martin. Right. Um, but, but like, that's my point is like, I don't even know that I would do that for, for a beater acoustic. Like I would just go buy a Seagull S6 or something, or even, uh, like a Breedlove concert or something like that. It's just inexpensive. I would buy satin just because those, those tend to wear better finish wise. Um, cause mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they breathe better. And then you beat those guitars within an inch of their life. And if it breaks, it breaks. You buy another one. Um, for Especially for beach gigs. I mean, holy shit. I wouldn't be taking a hummingbird to a beach gig either. Quite frankly, I don't think I'd want a hummingbird in the environment you're in. 
because you're kind of in like a swampy area. Um, yeah. So yeah, it doesn't go outdoors much. Yeah, I'll just tell you that it sits it sits in a house. And the truth of the matter is, it's one of those guitars. If I sold it, would I miss it? Probably. And, and yeah, and so there's no point in me because I've thought many times about just selling it, and then getting an acoustic that I could again the koa this is the thing that, that probably a lot of people are like you're looking at a thousand dollar guitar you would take to the beach yeah I am um uh, so quality acoustics uh, are not cheap and yeah, the, um the koa would be the one that I would I would be okay taking it anywhere playing it you know having it at my buddy's house because when I go to my friend's house in the summertime oh my god it's so hot and sweaty and muggy and I stay there for a whole day and what does that do to and so I just, well, I, I mean, I, I get it. Like that totally makes sense to me. And that's one of the things where like, if you're going to buy something, I'd be looking at something that's like a hole in your lineup that you need to fill rather than that's right. something that's like, oh, here, now I get to make another choice about what guitar to bring to the gig. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so there, there's that, right? Are we ready to and talk It's about not even like I have the excuse of having different tunings. No, I was just going to say, you don't even really... Like I have different tunings, which is why I'm still acquiring shit, which yep. not making things easier. Actually, the next guitar is a hardtail, and so that's so I can swap tunings on it. Um, right. So, are we ready to talk about Digitech? Yep. Okay, Digitech. Digitech. Um, I'll kind of get us into this, Digitech. I guess. I mean, I know this is your topic, Jim, but I but I know what's going on a little no, bit. Go ahead. And yep. I actually reached out to some retailers on this. Um, so. Harman Audio, uh, who is actually a subsidiary of Samsung now, I believe. Um, they own yeah. JBL. They own a couple other companies uh, in the pro audio side of the industry. I think they also own like Pioneer or somebody like that. Um, you'd have to go look at the Harman fa uh, family brands. But um, Harman Audio acquired Digitech, and I think it was like 2017 – or uh, they, they didn't acquire them. They've always owned them, but, but they were acquired by Samsung in like 2017. And one of the first things Samsung did was laid off the design team for Digitech, which also meant DOD. Okay. Uh, Cause they're the same company. And right. so here's where things get dicey, right? So like Digitech and DOD had just gone through this like Renaissance of pedals. Right. So they were just fresh off the hardware series. And then they did the, I think there was like a hardware, like uh, uh, an end of life hardware series. And then, they made, uh, they went from hardware, which was supposed to be like their boss competitor to, um, cause they were always seen as sort of like sub boss. Right. And then they went over and they started doing their more highline pedals, like the Pilar reverb. And, uh, they did the cab VR, I think was one of the, one of the options in that line of stuff. Uh, there was a Ventura vibe, um, a couple yep. of different, couple of different pedals. Right. And uh, those pedals were actually supposed to be really, really good. Um, now personally, I shot a couple of them out against some different Boss pedals that were coming out around the time, and I and I, I still thought the Boss stuff was superior. Um, that was those were supposed to be more boutique aimed, like this is you know to compete with boutique market kind of stuff. Because you can even tell from the graphics, like they were really taking a um, a hard look at what people in the market space were doing. Now, DOD at that time also received like a rebirth and a lot of the old DOD pedals were reissued. Um, yep. 
and there and we saw new stuff too like that the the carcosa fuzz and mm-hmm. um we saw the rubberneck analog delay come out which was a lot of people like that thing um yep so all this is going on they get acquired in 2017 they lay off all of the design staff and then they basically like cancel a bunch of the line um yep. although they do it officially what they do is they wait until uh, they sell out remaining stock and then they just don't fulfill those orders anymore. And that's sort of been their MO for a while. And uh, they continue to produce the Whammy products. In fact, they brought out a new Whammy product, which was pretty wild. The drop had already been out and I think they came out with the Ricochet post-transition. And um, those pedals continue to sell and like everybody's like, well, Whammy has always been a big seller for Digitech. Like, Yep. Maybe is. they're just going to leave it alone. Maybe the WH5 is the last one and they're going to continue to produce it at infinitum. Um, mm-hmm. So here's where things get interesting over the, over the last couple of weeks. Apparently people have been getting canceled orders through Digitech direct of WH products. And I think everybody was sort of like kind of knowing that eventually Digitech was going to dry up, but it hadn't happened yet. And now people are wondering and uh, F- Ryan Bruce Fluff, right? He was one of the guys at Rift Beards and Gears, this YouTube channel. Um, he was one of the guys that like kind of went, hey guys, DOD is probably out of business or uh, Digitech is probably completely out of business at this point. Um, I have heard rumors on the gear page that Digitech was acquired, that they will not be closing their doors, but that right now things are in transition. So they don't know where that's going to go. Um, I have not heard any credible evidence to suggest that that is actually what has happened. Uh, no one has said who has acquired them. And that is the big problem, the big problem, right? Like if Gibson came out and said they bought Digitech, which would be in my mind, that's the likely candidate for somebody who's been acquiring companies in the field. Um, they've got a line of pedals right now, right? And Digitech is up for sale, and maybe this this uh, whole thing has been negotiated alongside the launch of their new pedals, and maybe Digitech actually, the new designers for Gibson will also be the designers for Digitech, kind of kind of shenanigans, um, and they could bring them into the the family of brands. And Digitech people are going to work for Gibson. Well, I w- I don't think there would be any people because I don't think there really anybody actually working at Digitech anymore, other than distribution. Um, well, and I customer, thought they said customer that the service. engineers were laid off. Long yeah. time ago, 2017. Yeah. Back in 2017. Um, so oh, they've been laid off that long? Yeah, they've sure. been gone. The guy, in fact, the main guy is like their, their lead designer builds fuzz pedals now. He's got his own line of fuzz pedals. Whatever his name is offhand. But, um, so I reached out to some retailers because I'm like, all right, I'm in love with you. Whammy is one of my favorite effects of all time. Um, yep. I had a WH4 for a number of years. And I bought it when I couldn't afford it, okay? Um, and I kept that pedal for a number of years despite the things I didn't like about it, which is like tone suck. And at the time, I didn't yep. have enough money. Like, this is how this is how stupid it was. I bought the Whammy, but I didn't have enough money to buy the true bypass loop switcher you need to use with it so that it doesn't, like, just completely mangle your sound going through it. Um, yep. So I had it when it was just stupid for me to have it. Um, and I ended up selling it i think in the great purge of like 2016 when i sold pretty much every pedal i had um and then started fresh um 
And at that time, I really wasn't even like, I, they were not even on my radar, right? So it's like WH5 was out, I think. And I remember seeing the, the, so they have the WH5 and then they have like the WH5XL or whatever, which is like the big one. I forget what the, the product name on that is, not an XL, but um, it's like, I mean, it's the size of a pedal board. Let's be real. It's it's huge. Um, it's about a foot oh, wide, yeah. about a foot wide to foot yeah. tall. Um, oh yeah. And I remember when that pedal, I saw it the first time, and I went, um, "It's a Whammy DT," is what it is. I was yep. at uh, I was at Good Time Music, and I and I asked the the proprietor, his Pat. I asked him. Um, I was like, "Is that any good? Like, how the hell are they still producing these things?" And he told me, he's like, the, the five is really good. Um, he said they fixed yep. all the problems with it. And I kept it in the back of my mind, right? So fast forward, you bought a drop, I think, at one point. You had to ricochet for a couple of hours. Um, yeah, that and, was um, And like, uh, so I always sort of I like I... knew I was going to buying one, especially after 2017 yep. when they when they canned Digitech. But I was like, oh, there'll be time for it later. There'll be time for it later. Um, cause I wanted the five really, really bad. And so then I get this YouTube thing popping up with Brian Bruce talking about, and this is the second time this has happened, by the way, the Digitech is going under permanently. Uh, I went to Sweetwater directly while the video was playing and bought a WH five just to see if I okay. got one, just to see if I'd get one. Did you get it? Uh, it is my order still placed. Uh, I spoke with my rep and he says that, um, because last I checked, they were out of Digitech. Everything. They are out, but he says they're still expecting stock. And he said, we have heard nothing about them closing the doors. Okay, um, so, so I, I have another source. Go ahead. One first retailer. Talk mm -hmm. to another retailer who's also a Digitech dealer. Haven't heard a word. Um, and this is this is like as recent as yesterday. Um and these people are actively asking because they're trying to find out because they may actually be sitting on stock, you know, like or waiting on product. And they're like, we don't know. We, we, we're we hearing the same things you are and there's no answers being given to anyone. Um, so I don't know what your what your sources are telling you, but that's that seems okay. to be the general consensus. Yep. My source who reached out to their um, you probably know who it is, who reached out to their Digitech rep. Well, person that would get it right for them, they're not getting anything. They, they, they're, they're expecting stock. There isn't anything to give. I reached out just like you to Sweetwater. There, it yeah, says more on the way. Yeah, it's not on the way. Okay, well, so I mean, if that happens, then I'll I'll be the first to report it because mine's going to get canceled. But um, I can tell you, I can tell you where you can get it. There is a company that, that okay, Toman also said, oh, we've got some coming. Toman says we've got them coming. Guitar Center said we've got them coming. Another company said they got them coming. Sweetwater says we've got them I, coming. I suspect there is a forthcoming announcement. Yeah. Um, and I and so, think that it may be hinging on a sale, um, which is why they can't really say that they've got any product coming. Right, because there isn't anything in the line to give. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, there is a company in England that has some Digitech products on hand. It's called Gear for Music. Yeah, and that's the UK or whatever. Yeah. 
they do have 20 plus in stock which of means, the Digitech which means they, got, they got the last ones yep and they my co-guitarist and I from Fitch and Company both ordered a Digitech drop and we both got approved and we both got it on the way from England okay. supposed to get here this week Monday I think so what is the uh, what is that website I'm gonna see if I can get one it's it's gear for music um gear number four music uh let me give you the yeah I'll, I'll just send it to you is it dot, is it dot uk or dot com dot com usen so even though they're in I I, I thought oh they're in they're in America oh they right. have it so they have a us a us they have a US site. distribution or whatever yeah uh. so this is the this is right to the pedal and they've got 20 plus in stock and they they are actually shipping orders so he uh, got shipping their, uh, information and everything they got you know what these prices yeah i think they got the final stock they yeah because guess what those prices are lower than what you would pay through even with um vat because vat is included in that price by the way mm. value added tax um and uh they but you do pay a little more in shipping um because it's not free shipping obviously from london england or whatever they are in london yeah um, it's not terrible we, yep we tried to call them but then we realized they were uk because i was like why aren't yeah. they answering the phone i'm like oh shit because they're in it's the like UK. two o'clock in the morning because <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah for it was my time it was uh it was like 5 p.m or whatever if, and, and, and it's like it's 11, like 11 o'clock at night yeah 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 i answer the phone so um got a hold of them uh i bought now what's funny is when I bought my check out the price on the drop. When I bought my drop, it was one hundred and nineteen dollars. Check out the price right now, and that was just last week. That is wild. That is wild. I'm yep. I'm doing this right on the show right now. Yep. Like I bought I bought it right away. We bought it right away. So I paid what what the price on the drop is right now. That's what I paid for with shipping and everything included. Um. I cannot and believe I'm buying this. For you will what get I'm that. Buying. You will get it. That's the funny part. You will oh, get it. Oh, wait a minute. By... Wait a minute. There's a problem. Uh-oh. Power plug. Oh. So oh. it's a 24-volt, 240-volt version. Let me let me look at this for a second. I'm going to – yeah, I, I'm going to – let's let's keep recording. Um. This is this is interesting. This is interesting podcasting right here. We're buying a pedal right live oh, on. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Um, because they're in London. Uh, they they should still have the converter on it. They show the converter. Well, on it's the, not uh, it's not AC, right? So it's it, it's still going to be nine volt DC or twelve still volt, nine volt DC DC. So it doesn't make a difference. It's just the power supply right. is not going to work. Right. Right. So you're just going to have to use a different nine volt adapter. Well, you know what? And the funny thing about that is Digitech doesn't they, they usually ship adapters in the box. Yep. So I don't know that this is even an issue for me. Not uh, for me. 2.4. The order volts. may contain a 240 UK volt. Yeah. Um, which means that you're gonna have to get your own nine volt adapter. I'm not worried. Care. I'm not worried about that because I because I have I don't know power it's supply. Going on I got board. power supplies anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's not even an issue for me. That'll that'll pull three hundred, probably five hundred. No, three hundred millimeter. It'll probably be three hundred milliamp. 
I mean, it's not going to be bad. No. But still, it's funny that they have them in stock. And you will get it. It says right on there, you'll get it by the 20th to the 22nd. Yeah, I believe You'll it. probably wait a couple more days because it's got to come through customs. But last thing I got um, from England, as a matter of fact, my son just ordered something. Oh, it took him three days. It took him less time to get something. I, I got something from... Um, Done. It's on its way. I've got a whammy. There you go. I just bought a whammy five. Um, wasn't expecting to do that tonight. Um, yeah. I didn't even think to go and like look and see if I could, because I figured if they were out of Sweetwater, they're out everywhere. And Toman, Toman goes, yeah, order from us. And then they're, oh, we're back. Ordered. Yeah. I, so I had the same problem with, with Toman with the, um, the tape, the tape echo. And when I called yep. Sweetwater, they had them. Um, if you remember yeah, that man. whole fiasco when T-Rex, uh, uh yep. went out, of, went, went out, sort of went out of business. Right. Which I'm yeah. wondering if T Rex is still around. Um, I know. So I can tell you some of their stuff. Is I still ordered. Out there, but... I ordered my pedal. Uh, last week it'll be here Monday, and it was the middle of last week. I could tell you what day because so they've got a text. So the T Rex replicator is still available. You can still get the tape delay. They did not. And what was cool is because there was two of us buying it. Um, he. Uh, um, he ordered it, here it is, he ordered it, uh, and because it was two of us, we got the shipping, uh, was the same for two of them as it was for one. So we shared the shipping cost. Yeah. So I'm going yeah. <laughs> to, this is like, not what I was expecting to have happen tonight, but, but you know, if they're literally that hard to find, I mean, if you've got one, if you've got one on yep. order, like. If you can get one right now and you and you're thinking you're curious, First buy day. one because chances are yep. you're gonna be able to throw this thing up on on reverb in a couple of weeks for like five hundred bucks. Cause cause these things are going to go up in price. These are this so if you don't know, everybody has used the whammy. Um Steve Vai, uh oh, yeah. David Gilmore. David Gilmore. He, I mean, yep. he's the guy that like for me, like, but Tom Morello, I mean that, that guy can't play without a whammy pedal. So like, what the hell is yep. he going to do? Is he just going to buy up all the used ones? I mean, um, and that's where I'm like, yeah, if you want one, you better buy it now. And they were the only yep. company that did it. Um, now, so the funny thing is the, the highly sought after one was the WH1. And they lost the source code to it. So yep. over time, you can't you can't replicate it anymore. If you lose a source code on a digital pedal, you're screwed. Yep. Um, and not only that, but um, the platform it runs on is. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like deprecated now, so they can't even like basically the new version of the the WH5 just does the same thing and they emulated it just kind of like trying to figure out how the original worked and they did a yep. really good job because the four the four is good, but the four doesn't sound like the, the one did. And I know a lot of people were substituting the four in place of the one, especially pros. Um, yep. But the five is actually really, really good. And I feel comfortable saying that, you know, I, I don't need a one if I have the five. And I think a lot of people right. felt that way. So I'm kind of shocked that Digitech is, is drying up. I mean, I don't know if they're actually done for or what. Nobody does yet at this point, but they are telling people they're not shipping according to, to Jim and his sources, who I know who your source yep. is. So he's credible. Um, it, 
They're waiting to find out. This was a, this was a quote from his source. The acquisition by a guitar company. That's what I figure. I mean, that's I don't know who who would be acquiring them other than Gibson. So um, it could I, yeah, be Fender. It's either, Fender. I, I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's either Gibson or Fender. But I was thinking it could be Ibanez. You know, yeah. I mean, Ibanez doesn't really have much of a pedal business anymore because they they nope. like divorce themselves from Maxon. Yeah. Um, although Maxon sort of ended their U.S. distribution, which made me wonder if they were going back over to Ibanez. Um, right. So I don't know. There's a lot of things that could be happening here. This is going to be a real weird pedal landscape for big companies very soon if uh, they right. get acquired. I don't yep. think they're going to go under. I do think you're going to see a new product line. I don't know if the Whammy will be included in that. Um, That's got to be. That's the flagship. Well, here's the problem, I Jim. Mean, They've been on the what, the WH5 for how many years now? And whatever um, new product they come out with may be on a new platform because they lost all the old engineers. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those kind of situations where it could be a totally new product. I've also heard rumblings. And you heard it here first, folks, that Line 6 may be acquiring them. Um, That's a possibility. And that makes sense. Would make a lot of sense because of the product parity. Um, But I think that's bad news for DoD if that's the case. Because they're not going to be interested in in reproducing the old analog DoD stuff. And and it's funny because the Digitech uh, Whammy 5 right now on Reverb, there's exactly two. Damn. And they're more money than what you just paid, even with shipping. Oh, I know. I know what I just paid. And I'm like, I never thought I was going to pay that little. Yep. Um, one's in Milano, Italy. <laughs> the other one's in Virginia. It's wild, wild. <laughs> I just, I just find that. Well, you know what happened, oh. right? Like there was probably a dozen of them a couple days ago. And then this news yeah. breaks and everybody's like, I got to have one. Oh, just like the tube shortage. Because yeah. they were just like me. They were like. That's something I'd always just thought I would be able to go get, you know? Yeah. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. So we were already going to buy a Digitech drop. And I was like, yeah, we'll just get it. And then, boom, they're, they're dropping it. $270 for a Digitech drop. Right now, the cheapest one is from Belgium, 158 the re- um, there's one in what, the, the only, barn. The only other option is what the EHX pitchfork. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I, I personally, all right. So I'm gonna get real here. We're talking about Digitech. Digitech was a company I ignored for a long time. Um, I had yeah. a Supernatural reverb. I liked that. Um, and then I got so I had the Whammy before that. I had some DoD stuff. I think somebody gave me an FX55 distortion. And I had, uh, yeah, that was a gift. Somebody gave that to me. And then I also had the YJM250, which was a DOD 250 alike, which was not anything like a DOD 250, really. Um, and then I had, so that that was what I had, right? It's like, that was all the Digitech stuff I ever owned. I tried a bunch of pedals. Like, I tried the Hot Rod Distortion at one point. Um, and I've, you know, borrowed and played a bunch of their stuff over the years. But... I was never all that excited about DOD or Digitech. And so it was kind of weird, like this pedal company is going under and like not realizing that so many people had like a huge love for this company. Um, Yeah. Well, if you think about it, David Gilmore probably kept the, the whammy 
going almost single handed. I, I think him. I think him and Tom Morello specifically. Those yep, audio yep, slave Morello. records. That's the, one, that's the other one I could. I couldn't think of him. Tom Morello. Yeah. Yep. Because they both have those wacky sounds that they make with those pedals, and you can't really do with anything else. Um, the well, I mean, you, got, is, you got the Bigsby. I mean, that's supposed to be able to do similar stuff. It I, actually does. The, the thing is that momentarily I can do it with the Bigsby. It's, it's, that's not a problem. I actually have it tuned to do exactly what I want it to do. The problem is it's auto if I want to do a whole song, right? If I want to do a whole song that way, I need a brick. <laughs> so I can put the brick on the pedal. It's auto. Take a it's, brick yeah, off. it's auto return. So yeah. like it's not really meant, and actually I don't even think the whammy is really necessarily meant for adjusting tuning. Um, no, you can, but you it's can, it, right? Exactly. So you can. It's literally got it's, a yeah. It's it's got the Digitech drop built in, and then some. I mean, it's much better pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're getting it for less than you would buy it, e- even if you waited till Sweetwater got one in stock. That's what you're going to pay. So you're fine, and. and that so it, it's not a big deal. The the problem we're both gonna have, and th- this is the thing that that uh, no matter who buys them right now, who's gonna take care of them if they break? Yeah, I mean, so so it is digital apparatus. They do have me- me- mechanical moving parts. Um, I mm-hmm. believe they're optical. So as long as you can get yes. photo resistors, and you can get and right. you can get an LED, I think you can keep them working. Uh, yeah. They do have calibration functionality, uh, at least the the WH four did. The WH five does too. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm sure. I mean, they're built to last. These are these are tour grade uh, yeah. pieces of of kit, and they're they were so like just to give you an idea, they were two hundred and ninety two dollars. Yeah, two hundred sixty nine dollars. So I paid two ninety two to Sweetwater. Well, I was going to pay two ninety two to Sweetwater. Yeah, you're only um, going to pay two. 60 I paid $224 shipped. Just now? Yeah. Yeah. See? Um, for a pedal <laughs> for a pedal that has not been sub 250 in a decade. Yep. Um, and that's because you're getting the last of the line. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's buying... wild. That is the only company. Uh, we when I started looking for it, because I was like, he was like, yeah, I need something that we can do that we, so that we don't have to tune our guitars down. So he was like, yeah, because I, I don't want to have tune a Strat down to have to sit down and one of it. And I was like, oh, that's a pain in the ass. Anyway, I, I tried to to find. I was like, we'll just get a drop. And I was like, it'll be nothing. They, I know that that you know what was going on. I knew what was going on. And then I saw that goddamn video. Just some. And I go to type it in. I go, oh, my God, they're out of stock. Okay, you're out of stock, Sweetwater. I'll check Guitar Center. I'll start Guitar Center. Called Robert Jackson. Yeah, and then started to started get info about, like, things not that's being That's when it started. And then I then I tried Toman. Then I tried another one. Then I tried another one. I'm like, oh, great. And I was like, every little freaking nook and cranny like my local shops and and see everybody they've no been, one they've been it. out of stock for a while it, it was like, just oh, that i think the big yeah. red flag was when they started canceling direct orders it's yep. like that means they don't have any stock period and they're not expecting yep. to get any um so here's here's a fun one right so if you want to talk about shortages and stuff and if you want to blame this on a shortage because because i think it's pretty clear at this point this is not a shortage issue so much as they're just not going to do them anymore. Um, 
if you want to talk about actually maybe an interesting angle here Let, let's do this first what's a dod product you'd like to see them bring back or 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 a digitech product that you'd like to see them bring back if they move over to another company which i would say is probably 80 percent likely it's going to happen at this point because that there's a lot of intellectual property there the whammy specifically that a lot of companies would like to own um do you have anything other than the whammy? Because everybody wants to see the whammy come back, right? Like that's not going to be something that's going to disappear. Sure. But is there anything else you'd be interested in that, that would come back? Yeah. You know, I wish that somebody would actually take that Klon and bring it back just to drive the prices of those damn things down. I the, oh no no I meant I meant a Digitech pedal like a Digitech DoD because oh, I don't know oh, if you had oh. any soft spot for them or. Yeah, I had a – what was the, the – it was a DOD pedal, same company, right? Yeah. Um, was the DOD um, – uh, it was a drive pedal. The 250? That's it. Yeah. The a lot of people DOD would like to see – A lot of people would like to see the DOD the, in its original gray box form. I'd like to see the original DOD 250 come back, like original chipset, all that stuff. Um, yep. I'd like to see that one come back. I don't know that I'd necessarily buy that one. You know what? I actually would like to see them do the the which they won't because they're they will not be affiliated with Lexicon anymore. Um, right. I would like to see the Supernatural come back. The Supernatural oh. Reverb had the Lexicon. Uh, it they used proprietary Lexicon algorithms in it, and that was a pretty cool box. I mean, it was it was more on the ambient side of things, but um, it had the worst shimmer in it. Um, but it was you know I I don't personally need one. But I think for a lot of people, like that's the ticket and they could bring that back cheap because it's based on old digital hardware, right? Um, yep. I'd like to see a lot of the DOD stuff come back because when I was a kid, that was what you bought, right? Like when you bought, oh, yeah. so when you bought, oh, I need, a, I need a distortion pedal. You know what you bought? Yep. The DOD death metal. Death metal. Yeah. Yep. Or the grunge, which was actually, I think, the same pedal um, with like minor tweaks. And, uh, like they were all both based on a rat, I think. Um, but they were like rats modded within an inch of their life kind of designs. And Josh Scott can talk more about that. Cause I, cause I know he's done a whole DOD thing. So if you haven't seen that video, go watch, go watch his DOD retrospective where he talks about like, basically here's all the designs that DOD ever put out. And there's something like the, yep. meat, the uh, there's some meat machine or something. There's some like meat cleaver fuzz or. Something like that, and it that that's hysterical because they they made these graphical pedals where the graphics were like the feature of the pedal. The pedals like are not universally that great, um, but the the like the artwork and stuff was hilarious, um, and the pedals themselves were cheap. So like the DoD well, line was like fifty bucks a pedal or like forty bucks oh, yeah. a pedal. I mean, even at that time, that was like unheard of. But um, think about think about some of the the best DOD pedals that were out there. The grunge, right? That was oh, very did, popular. It was popular, but it's, it's it wasn't shit pedal, good. really bad. <laughs> it was really bad. That's one of the worst pedals. And it ever. definitely didn't sound grunge. <laughs> yeah. Um. So apparently that was supposed to be like their Kurt Cobain signature pedal. Like they were yep. trying to. That's what I've heard is like they were trying to get him to endorse it. And like yep. he would, he would use it at shows and throw it to people in the or throw it at people in the audience and stuff because it was like yep. a piece of shit. Um, yep. 
which you know he was he was a boss guy like he had the he was a big fan of the ds1 do you know what i don't want to see digitech do stop the fucking modelers like digitech was not known for the rp series modelers and i know they come up in forum groups like oh rp1 rp you know um 350 or you know whatever other ones they had the digitech genesis at one point and then they had the gnx line and like i know people use those multi-effects and i know there's at least one guy that's listened to the podcast in the past who's um who's like a big fan of the gnx line but like most of what they put out in those products sucked they were awful yeah. i remember one christmas i begged my mom for an rp250 i think it was Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't a 250. I think it was the 350. Big guy. Silver, three-foot switches. Amp. I had an amp uh, foot switch, like a modulation foot switch and something else. And I just remember being like, oh, it's got built-in rhythms. This is going to be cool. And I just remember getting it and being like, wow, every single model in here sounds identical. And that means they sound like shit. Um, I tracked stuff for a band with that thing. It was an RP 300, by the way, the 300 a, I think. And, um, I just remember being like, that was what I thought Digitech did. You know what I mean? Like big multi effects units. And like, I had no idea they were involved in DOD. I had no idea that they had like a line of the, the, what was it? The RP 250? Was it the RP? No, RP eight. Was it was it single number? They had. I had a friend of mine who had the RP. It was a. It was not huge. It was the smaller one. Yeah. Um. It was like a two button with a with a, uh, a expression pedal. Um. And let me tell you something. That thing, uh, was, um, great. And he would just plug it into a little Fender's Blues Junior. We're talking about twenty year. 20 years ago, and the Blues Junior was from, like, the mid-90s, or mid to late 90s, and he had that RP, um, whatever it was, and it was a great little pedal. The, the one I'm remembering, the, the DoD uh, 250 was that little, it was like a yellow overdrive. Pedal. Yeah, they had a yellow mm-hmm. one, but the, the gray box is the original. And they had the gray box, that's the one that, yep. And then the, uh, um, the rubberneck Mm-hmm. Uh, was the was the other one that that I liked their analog um, delay? Well, so they did a. I think DoD had an analog delay in like the the um, grunge style enclosures as well, and they had uh, they had a chorus that's really well thought of, um, and yep. a flanger that people like too. And and I agree, the flanger from that line was pretty cool. The problem with those the the um, grunge style enclosures was they were built like shit, um, so. I kind of like if you're going to reissue them, put them in, a, put them in a better enclosure or fix the foot switch at least. Um, Cause they actually brought, I believe they brought those pedals back in the original enclosures, which I know for the look and feel, that's great. But like, um, I always felt that like they could have done a much better job by coming up with I, something I, a little bit more interesting than those enclosures. Yeah, I had the, I had the DOD um, overdrive that was yellow. That was like a, a button instead of like a yeah um, the like, back when they were like the mxr enclosures with a with a right, standard right. foot switch yeah it's a dod 250 yep. um the, the preamp 250 is what they called it yeah they cut yeah the preamp 250 which is which is pretty much what we have in the um uh, um 
the other one, right? The, no. Is it the same 250 that's in the... Uh, yeah, um, that is, it is the, the same. The cycle hum one? Yeah, that, yeah, I think the one that's in the... Uh, Which the is 50, probably why I like I think the one in the 5050 is a gray box, though. I think it's based right. on the gray box circuit. Right, um, which is why I like it. Um, so, so there's... And actually, there's a little bit of a contention about whether the yellow and the gray box are different. And uh, I guess there was a time period when they were the same. So... You know, I don't. I think the current reissue 250 was not the same as the originals, and Analog Man was modifying them for a while. You could get yep the current one and have him modify it. Um, there so, it is. That damn Digitech, uh, or DoD Digitech, whatever uh, pedal. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I think they have stuff. I think they have stuff in their catalog they could bring back. Do you know why I think Digitech actually went under? I think they made a lot of bad mistakes. And one one thing, like, so they got acquired by Samsung, right? But, like, Samsung didn't kill JBL. Um, in fact, they actually kind of strengthened JBL a little bit, which is why I'm like, I think what actually wound up happening was DoD had, like, and, and Digitech by virtue, because they were the same company, had bad, like they had like a bad run of products, okay? And they did have a bad run of products. They had the hardware yep. series. And before that, they had digital distortions and stuff, um, which they, because for a while they, they killed off DoD. And I think that was a really, really bad track for them to be on. But like, I think the digital modeler thing, they couldn't yep. compete with Line 6. No, and they struggled to keep up, and I think that was a big part of their demise. But the other thing we've talked about on the show is they had the Jam Man line, the, the which was their their competitor for Boss, right? Um, for yep. the Boss Looper, and they like made that thing as proprietary as they possibly could, and to the point where they actually bastardized MIDI. And actually, yep. like we talked about on the show, they stripped out commands that just should have worked um, yep. because they wanted to, they, they didn't want you to be able to communicate to it with MIDI. And then they had the the Trio, which was a great product idea. And it should yeah. have been expandable, number one. But, and I think they always intended to do like a Trio part version two, which was going to be expandable. But then they gave it Jamsync instead of MIDI. So it was like, this is a waste of time. You can't trigger this with anything else. Um, so you can't use it as a fill in drummer. You know, I, I had a trio for a while and I thought it was just kind of a joke, you know? Um, and I have the B buddy now and I think that's fantastic. He doesn't play bass yep. for me, but right. I mean, I, I'll have to live with that. Um, so I don't know. I just, this is all food for thought. Like if you're, uh, wondering why we're having a conversation about a company like Digitech, like they've got a long history of a lot of different stuff. And I'm sure there's something in their catalog that would be of interest to you. Um, now, oh yeah, would you have to mod this pedal to be permanently on and then use a loop switcher to engage it? Potentially, because their enclosures are not alone for being super solid. Um, yep. But if you can do that, I mean, you can get around it. They had a they had a yeah. great compressor too. Uh, I forget I which one it was, but it was like a Ross compressor, and a lot of people like that too. Um, so I don't know. I was like, I'm not upset, you know. I like that they're gone because I think they've got enough proprietary stuff in their past. Somebody's gonna buy yeah. them and be like, 
you know what? We want to keep doing the rubberneck. We want to we want to make a 250. We want to make and it could even be it may not even be a guitar company, Jim. Like we're right. thinking about this from the perspective of like line six might buy them, but there are other companies that would love to have the intellectual property too, like um Earthquaker Devices. Some of these mm-hmm. some of these pedal companies that have become well, mainline pedal companies would love to acquire a brand like that. Do you do you remember when I bought the 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 Bigsby pedal? Yeah. Game and you said audio. Yeah, Jim, that's that's a whammy. That's a Tigitech whammy. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not. It kinda is. But what's funny, so let me grab it real quick and I actually and so, think for somebody who wants a whammy replacement, like an actual replacement device for a whammy like a, an actual physical whammy bar on a guitar that's yep. perfect i mean that yeah. that thing really do, and i i saw josh smith was on instagram today playing one and i'm like yeah there's yeah, a, dude it's that thing's legit like i like that um, there's a gal that plays cello or something no she plays uh is it the lady who did the the the, the wonder woman theme yeah yeah, she's she, I forget her name offhand, but she plays uh she's a helix that she plugs her cello into and she's also using that now. That yeah, she has one and there's a um there's a gal also that plays the uh what do you call that thing? The the harp. But yeah. not the not this harp. The harp harp. Yeah, actual harp. And she got one of these and was using it and she's she loves it. And of course she got her name on there because they put her name on there, but yeah. But I'm just saying that that this thing is built like a tank. I mean, it, yeah. solid construction. Great, great idea. The look. I mean, they they went through the trouble of of paying Fender because Fender owns that name, paying Fender to put this design on there, and not even bothering to um, make any changes. And you can see it looks great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they do. But, on, they do on the name uh, post twenty nineteen. So if anybody yep. wants to know when the acquisition happened, and they acquired it from, do you know? No. Who? Gretsch. Gretsch. Ah, that makes sense. A common and misconception: so, Fender does yeah. not own Gretsch. Okay. And this came with no, they do not. Um, and it came with the thing, so I can do MIDI to yeah. it. Yeah. So, um. Is it expensive? Yes, it's about double what you just paid. Um, nah, not quite, but close. But you get it, it comes from Latvia, which is north of Poland. Um, and uh, But it, great pedal if you're looking for something that does the whammy thing very well. And you can also adjust all the rate and blend and all the other stuff. Um, so yeah. They have some other cool it, pedals too. They have the... Uh... They have the plus, pe- the plus pedal, which is cool. Yeah. I might actually already have the pitch. You might be right. That does detune. I'll have to re- reread the thing. I might actually already have detune in here where I can hit it and it goes and hit it and it comes back. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> they already have it in there. Shit. Bigs- That's all right. I could sell it for more than I, I bought. I paid for it. Oh, I would keep it. I think actually might even be. It might even sound better. Um, oh, but this there is great. No- there is no final price on the Bigsby pedal yet. Um, believe it or not, the the, the yeah. price you paid may not be the final price because they they uh, oh they're not selling it to the public yet. No, they're not. And I have a feeling that you guys paid for the development cost. 
So yeah. I have a feeling when it And hits, I paid that money up front like months. Remember, I was like several given, months. Given the pricing of their other pedals, I think it'll be around 375 bucks. Maybe maybe 400 even. I don't think it's going to be much more than that. Because um, their other pedals are right around that price. How much? Around three, $375 to $400. Yeah, that, I mean that's what I paid four hundred dollars. So the plasma so that, the plasma coil is three fifty. The plasma pedal is three hundred. The plasma drive yep. is three sixty nine. This obviously, yep. had, and then of course the plus pedal is three seventy nine. Light pedal is three seventy nine. I think this pedal so is going to be four hundred because of the Bigsby. Because the Bigsby, and they got to pay Fender a licensing fee. Well, you know, and they say right out there. That they pay I wonder that. if they're paying Fender a licensing fee, or Fender actually is pocketing some of the money for the pedal itself. Might be that they they may That's have partnered question. up together and because uh, yeah. they have their own and maybe Game Changer is doing some development work for Fender's pedals, which would not That's shock not. me because there's been a lot of rumors going around about who is actually designing Fender's pedals. Um, somebody like Game Changer seems like they would be right up Fender's alley for that kind of thing. So, yeah, nothing so Game Changer, not- nothing Game Changers them, themselves sells is like. A, a normal pedal they're freaking weird stuff so you know yep anybody interested in getting one let me know all right i have a um yeah you have one i have a link if you want to get one no no, no i'm not buying I, i'm not selling like, yeah i mean i have a link we might talk after the show i'd be interested just to know what they're costing and stuff because i know if you have a link you probably know what they cost yep um so let's switch over to gig report we've done we've done digitech to death I don't know if you have a gig report. Do you, Jim? Yep. Okay. Quick one. All right. Give so, me yours first uh, since it's quick. Yep. So went to, uh, we had a gig locally. Um, and uh, let's just say um, female anatomy was visible from right away. Uh, it was um, <laughs> it was one of those, one of those gigs that started out at the top and <laughs> started going. Um, we, uh, uh, started going, um, at 8.30 PM and we had that stuff going on by before nine o'clock. Um, so basically a lot of alcohol at this gig. There was a lot of alcohol. It was a lot of drinking, a lot of people having a lot of fun. Um, and it went well. Um, sound was good. Uh, my friend had to come in and sit as the second guitar player because Joe couldn't make it um, for some personal reasons. And so uh, it was one of those things that the most embarrassing part of it was there was a couple of times where I, I'll give you a, a prime example. There was a couple of songs where I was like, oh, shit, I got I to gotta intro that song. I don't know how. But I just pulled it out of my ass, right? The one song I couldn't pull out of my ass was Wagon Wheel. <laughs> I did not know how to play Wagon Wheel. Just guess. It's not that tough a song, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> it sucks so hard. We have a, we I have a club. never actually listened to it. Wagon Wheel but... tidbit, just for a second. Uh, we have yeah, a club here. We have a club here in the city that actually has a sign on the wall that says no Wagon Wheel. And oh, uh, that's funny. That's what, funny. Okay, so one of the bands I play with, they've paid to play Wagon Wheel. You have to pay like 25 bucks. Yeah, so that's anyway. funny. That I I feel like we should have a tip jar up front. Says Wagon Wheel. Yeah, um, Wagon Wheel, Brown Eyed Girl, Margaritaville, Mustang <sighs> Sally, twenty five dollars. 
Those are five songs that you can just burn. Like, I just don't care about any of them. Actually, Mustang Sally, I know people like want to hear that one. But in my age group, that's like a rarely heard song. So I'm not as like pushy about that one. But the rest of those tunes, fuck them. Like, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> and we have we have Brown Eyed Girl in the set list. I hate that song. And I have to play it. And they're like, do the intro. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. I, okay. I got a curiosity question for you. So playing the intro, because you're covering the intro, just like I am. Yeah. To Brown Eyed Girl. Do you do it? Do you do double stops on, on adjacent strings or do you skip, do skip string? Uh, I'm doing intro? I'm doing adjacent on that just so I can okay. keep it straight in my head. Um, I play I play it on. Strings that are not adjacent. I play it on the there are B other ways. Yeah, strings. I mean, there's certainly other ways to play it, and I, I don't think oh, yeah. it was played. I don't think it was played adjacent on the record for sure. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but I have a feeling that there may have actually been tuning trickery on the record too. That's what where, I'm thinking because that's hard to do. It's harder than the think. Yeah, well, it's not I mean, actually it's not, that hard for me to do it. But the but the problem is there's too many shifts because you're playing right. like you're playing do you know diatonic harmony basically. And you've yep. got like these big jumps. And if yep. you don't have that like nailed when you and go to do it live, it. yeah, it's fast too, you know, um, it can cause problems. So anyway, you can sit and practice that slow and it can be easy. It's not. But you do that to speed and you do that without making a mistake. And I don't having a Jim. Here's one thing that's going to blow your mind. I don't practice it. So when they ask me to do it, I pull it out and I do it. But it's like, oh, yeah, I, I hate it. it. I hate it. I don't want to play it because there's too much room for error. It's the Margaritaville intro backwards. Yeah, I if guess you look it is. At it, I guess it it's is. It's the Margaritaville backwards. I was playing Margaritaville. I guess it I go, is. Oh, my God. That's that's Margaritaville backwards. I, I mean, don't do the Margaritaville exactly. intro anyway. We play like punk rock Margaritaville because I am. Oh, not, that's cool. I'm not <laughs> doing that. <laughs> well, not like that. Yeah, Margaritaville. Think, think more like pop punk. Like, because oh. they get going real fast and it's kind of like bluegrassy. So, like. When you get going fast and then you got me doing triplets on guitar, like it starts sounding like, you know, punk rock. There's nothing you can do about it. So prepping for my next gig, I want to show you some notes. This is some prepping for my next gig. It's not really triplets, by the way. It's triple feel. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm we're writing harmony parts. So the solo for another th song that you probably hate. And I, I'm, I don't hate it, but I don't love it is uh friends in low places uh, and, I, mean, I don't hate that one but it's yeah not my not song so, i would play right well we we do a country thing and so i know somebody who's played notes. that one <laughs> yeah it, so these are notes for for yeah. friends in low places right because it's in a major right right and so that i'm writing out the riff there's a riff in there yeah we're harmonizing so this is the notes in the riff and these are the chords of a and i said okay i gotta take these notes Turn them into double stops to create a riff, and that's what we were working on, so that we could we could do that. Da, 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 no, 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 and and so that's what I'm doing. I'm doing okay. If I play it, what's it going to be? Am I going to play it thirds? Am I going to play it fifths? I'm going to play, and it's going to be perfect fits. And it's going to be perfect fits to the notes or perfect fits to the chords. It should be yeah. perfect fits to the chords. And what's funny is the part we're playing it over is that freaking B flat diminished. So it's like, woo! <laughs> yeah, I can't even picture what's going on there. So, 
Which is yeah, which is also G sharp diminished. Um, it, so yeah, it's it's uh oh, it's fun. All right. So anyway, you you're up. <laughs> what was that? The G sharp diminished. Oh. Um. We're playing it over a B flat diminished though, because it's the it's the chord. It doesn't that kinda, matter because it's a per, if, as long as it's a, it's it's four notes higher. So exactly. I don't know what the what the interval that is, but it's a tritone, yeah. right? Yep. Or some other tritone relationship could be a tritone lower as well. Um, so we're playing a yeah. So next weekend I'll have a, a gig report that's. Uh, That'll be interesting. We're playing in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and we're doing a uh, uh, tattoo parlor during a bike week while they're doing bikini contests day one and day two. Yeah, That's I think I think you had told me that you gig. were doing that gig. Yeah, all right. Uh, that'll be an interesting gig report. Um, yep. I might have to censor Jim a little bit during that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I you won't have to censor me. I don't just like this one. I didn't. You said enough. You said enough. I, I was borderline on this one. I, I almost had to play Facebook for a minute. Um, <laughs> I, I knew Facebook I was going to get, me. I knew I was going to get you on that one. Um, <laughs> Facebook loves me. All right. Go, all right. go Elon. Yeah. Okay, uh, <laughs> he's not buying Facebook. <laughs> Nobody's buying their buddy company. Yeah, prob- most likely. I would. Th- I would yeah, think at this point. Instagram- is it Instagram and Facebook or is it Instagram? And face- it's Instagram, Facebook, okay, Twitter is a rival. Yeah. See, I don't even have Instagram. I don't even. All right. So, gig report. My gig report, which is actually going to include a lot of other philosophical crap. Um, so I went to um, went to Open Jam this week, which that uh, well, yeah, it was this week, right? Thursday. Um, so I got sick again. Right. Like, which is why we didn't have an episode last week. Um, and then like, I, I forgot open jam and like it's Wednesday. I was like, Oh man, I feel like crap. Or I still feeling kind of like crap. But then like Thursday rolled around. It's like, Oh, you're going to open jam. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was already starting to feel better. So I'm like, yeah. Um, I got yeah. sick on Sunday. And so like, I was already sort of feeling better. And I, so I was like, all right, fine. Um, and I took, um, it was a good night. Okay. Awful shit was happening to me. Um, that day was really hard for me for personal reasons. And uh, I ended up on stage with Mike Mara that night. And um, he was there and like he doesn't always come out. So it's kind of cool. Uh, and I had, I don't know, before that happened, like I got really bad news before I went on stage um, about 20 minutes before. And so like I was just in this weird place. Right. And like I played really well, but it, I guess I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even comment on that because I don't keep a camera on stage with me to like know what I did. Um, right. Which that's something that's also going to change. Um, so. I was there, I did my thing and then like uh, we did want to talk a little bit about gear. Uh, I had the amp one and I had my guitar, the amp one and my Lone Star cab that's actually up top over there with the with the uh, cream back in it. And I got to I got to be real for a minute. I wasn't nobody was in front of me this time. Nobody put their cab in front of mine. And right. actually for a portion of it Mike had his Fillmore on top of my my cabinet. And it just I mean that thing smoked. Um now I didn't have it adjusted properly. I could use some more treble. I could have tailored the mid range a little bit better, but I was like, 
I hit the the drive switch and it was like, let's go. Um, yep. and it was, it was a comfort thing on stage, right? Like it felt really good and I'm, I'm not going to complain. So, um, I got off stage and of course people were talking about like how good I played and how great it sounded and whatever. And it's like, I, I try to take those compliments as best I can. And so apologies if I, you know, make it seem like I'm like, yeah, you're full of shit. Um, right. But a I, lot I of times, a lot of times I do feel that way. Um, but like, I'm trying to be more receptive to that. Um, but I'm, I was just sitting there and like, I was dealing with this bad news, you know, and I'm like, I just, I was surrounded by a lot of cool people. A lot of, a lot of people were like concerned about my situation and I was okay. Right. Best, like best way I can describe it. I was okay. Um, so I knew Cooley Underground was happening this weekend. It was last weekend. Yeah, so this is Thursday before last, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Not this weekend. Um, and so I did Cooley, and uh, I was told to come early because Ryan, right. Ryan, who runs it, was there. And mm -hmm. so I, Cooley Underground Gym, if you remember, is the like chill spot in somebody's basement where they do live broadcasting. And um, so I got invited. And I've, I've been there before. Like I, it was an open jam. So everybody was invited anyway, but I got there early. Cause I was told come early. You know, we, we never have people early. It's a lot easier to get playtime if you didn't come early. And she just want to come in and like hang out and play with people. I'm like, this is a social thing for me. So like, whatever. So I came out early and I walked in, it was like four 30 and um, there were people downstairs playing and I played a little bit with them and then like yep. we went upstairs and there's pieces being cooked and just shooting the shit with people. Um, and then we went back downstairs and I was playing through uh, uh, one of the gentlemen. I, and I won't say his name cause I don't know if he wants it on the podcast drop, but um, one of the gentlemen's rig and it was like a Mesa express five. I think it was a five fifty. I'm pretty sure it was a five fifty. Um, and uh, he had a pedal board, which had like three tube screamers on it different varieties and then like i don't know i wasn't really paying too much attention like i paid attention to the dirt pedals first. there was um a ts808 mini there was the uh the keely the red the red tube screamer variant i forget what it's called and then there was uh an ocd and right. um i don't care to own an ocd anymore uh especially here right, here right. in a gig volume uh, I, I'm yeah, that, that I don't very hit or miss on it, that. Just like some people like or, and dislike badly the TS nine. I don't get the OCD at all. Well, it's funny because when you're playing through somebody else's rig, right? Which is exactly the situation I was in. Um, yep. There's a lot of compression going. He actually, I think he had compression going like in the effects loop of the amp. And I think he had compression going before the amp. And then, so it's like, He's a clean player. The guy likes to have really clean, sustainy, almost like having an overdrive on, but it's a clean sound sort of sound. And mm -hmm. for me, I was like playing this and I'm like, this really isn't my thing. And uh, I just got this feeling that my sound was very dry. Of course, we're playing this damn loud and we're in this tiny room. So I, I really couldn't tell what was going on. I had my plugs in because um, it was so brutally loud. Um, and I just remember like getting through and kind of being like, well, we played 
And we play, uh, Mike actually came out to that too. And then we played, um, we played Born Under a Bad Sign. We played um, um, Watchtower, which I just totally wrecked. It was like, because I'm just tired at that point. Like I played the other night and um, I didn't sleep very good the night before. And like, it was the whole thing. But uh, I had a good time, right? And it was great. And I sat and visited with people and then we left. And then the next day I saw the performance. And I almost reached out to the guys. I was like, can we take this down? Like, it, th this mm -hmm. was just bad from, from me specifically. Uh, Mike was okay, but like, even Mike, we were talking on the side and he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't know that I sounded that great either. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm not going to say one way or the other because that's your, you know, that's your position to judge yourself. But I'm kind of like, I was not happy. Like I had a good time, but that's about the best I can say there. And I, and I sort of realized it, it led me down this path. And that's really what I want to talk about this path, right? Um, for three days, I have laid awake at night thinking about, I talked about the great pedal purge of 2016, um, where I sold, I think thousand dollars worth of pedals and then started over, and I bought, I think I, I went to Chicago Music Exchange, and I spent $600 on pedals in one, in one day. Oh, um, cheapers. And um, I still I have, remember that. Still have one of those pedals. That was before the show started, I think. Um, but it was like, I think we talked about it on the show, because it was like, right, right. this is a big turning point in my life, right? Cause I, um, yeah, because I remember when you went from getting, having all these pedals to just going to the... That was Pete. right around the show then, the time the show started, right? Right, and um, then you went back just like I have. Yeah, so maybe it I was, kind of use both. I have the Kemper and I and have maybe the, the pedal purge of like 2015, 2014, because it was a while yeah. ago. Um, yep. I'd been working where I'm at now. I'm there. I, this is my eighth year, so and it would have been the year I started there. So it would have been about eight years ago. But anyway, um, when that has all happened, like. Uh, I had been the guy that was like, I'm not spending money on gear and all this stuff and like trying not to spend anything. And then I all of a sudden I just went, you know what, let's open the taps. And, yep. um, part of it was new, new employment, actually having some money. Cause I went from making about $25,000 a year to making a significant amount of money. Um, I was paying my dues. So, um, all that was all that said and done, right? Like I start buying up gear and all this and like now here i am um we've been through how many board revisions i think four where like right. I just four periods where i was just buying pedals right and left maybe five and um i've had the helix i've had the kemper i've had uh, several amps in this time period i had uh, several probably t probably seven or eight amps in this time period um, and a lot of the things that I still have, this that I have, I've had during this time period, I've had for quite some time. Um, like the the, the Mark Five Twenty Five, this band that's up there, and the, you know some of my cabs. And um, actually, I think I ditched all my my original Mesa cabs, and I got, and then I went to the Lone Stars. But um, point is, like I've been developing my taste, and I knew right. even when I dumped all my stuff, and then I started acquiring stuff back in like twenty fifteen or whatever it was. Um, I knew that like I had come up with this idea with slots, right? I, I knew the players I liked. And at that time it was Philip Sace was a big influence on the way I thought about gear. 
and Stevie Ray Vaughan was a big influence on the way I thought about gear. And actually, I know this will probably shock at least one listener. Jeff Beck was a big thing about how I thought about gear because his approach was like so minimalist. Um, but also Robin Trower, who is still a big influence on the way I think about gear. And it's like looking at their pedal boards and stuff and just, well, Trower doesn't play with pedal board actually, but looking at their pedals and thinking about like, all of these guys use a fuzz. They got a drive. They got, you know, or, or they got a fuzz or a drive or a fuzz and a drive, depending on who they are. Um, they have a univibe. They have some sort of effect providing reverb for them. Most of them have a delay. Um, in some cases, it's an echo plex. Um, I think, I think also Eric Johnson's another one I left out of that list. But there's not a lot of modulation going on, except for Eric Johnson, of course. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, you might get a chorus on the odd song here or there or something like that. But for the most part, it's just me like thinking about, you know, really I can do everything I do with like four pedals. And this culminated in like, I got the, I got the amp one and I finally had drive sounds where I was like, that's exactly the sound that's been in my head. This, this, this like Marshall thing that I have never been able to get from an actual Marshall. I've owned actual Marshalls and I've never felt like, um, now granted the ones I had were not like real Marshalls. I didn't have like 50, 50, 50 watt small box heads or anything like that. I had, um, right. I had the, uh, the DSL five C I, I, which is the same preamp as the, you know, DSL 40 or whatever. Um, and I had the, uh, the um class five okay vintage style marshall small wattage not really the real deal kind of thing and then the 5c which is like the same sort of thing but you know more more modern um and it's i'm looking to see yeah i got it back here so in thinking about this whole process and like putting together a board that goes along with the amp one because i don't need i need even less with the amp one because now it's like how many drive pedals do you need like um, well, I mean, I got clean, I got a rhythm sound and I just need something to push that rhythm sound over the cliff. Right. Right. Um, so this is what I ended up settling on. And I know it's hilarious because I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about the pedals that I have here. So there's a vibe machine, the uh, King of Tone, the, uh, Delay Lama XL, and then the Mercury seven from Maris, um, which is a reverb. And I just want to talk about like how that happened and why those pedals and how I'm using them. Cause there's some revelations in there that have happened like literally in the last week. Um, even though I've been collecting univibes and been playing univibes for years, there's things I'm learning that I just didn't know. Um, so delay wise, like the first challenge I had, I know I was going for cable, right? Delay and reverb. We got to go in the loop of the, the amp one. So that's fine. I get my cables out and I hook it up. And I play and I'm like, what the hell? Where's all my trouble? Which the amp one's pretty bright anyway, especially at home volume. Um, and so like I start screwing around with it and I'm like, what the hell? And I turn the, I turn the delay on, all my trouble disappears. Turn the delay off, all my trouble comes back. Reverb doesn't care. I mean, reverb just works fine. I uh, said, so like, what the hell? There's obviously some sort of impedance problem here. So I flip the amp one over and Jim, if you recall, it has an impedance switch in the bottom of it which is really interesting because you can touch the impedance switch with a quarter inch plug. So you stick that bad boy in there 
And then you can yep. swap it back and forth, which is actually a really, really good engineering decision because you never know when the hell you're going to need to touch that thing. Um, and if you're a guitar player, you're always going to have a quarter inch plug around. Um, so I hit the switch and I was like, the voice of, you know, this, the heavens parted and the voice of the gods came out because it's like, there we go. Like, sounds great. That's exactly what I wanted. So I don't yep. know whether it operates better at line level or at instrument level. I'm not asking the right. question, but I can tell you right now, hitting that switch made a difference for me. And so your yep. knowledge may vary if you're trying to do this stuff yourself. Um, yep. Which also leads me to wonder if I put the HX stomp in the loop, that's going to have an effect on it. And I have a feeling the answer to that question is yes. Um, right. So that's one thing, right? Now, here's here is the other piece of the puzzle. I was listening to a lot of Robin Tarr. We played, um, actually at the jam, we played uh, Two Rolling Stone. Okay. And it was funny because they ended up playing it twice because they played it before I got there. And I was like, you guys know any Robin Tarr? And the guy's like, yeah, dude, we just played Two Rolling Stone. And they all started laughing. I was like, God damn it. Why wouldn't you play that with me? And uh, <laughs> so we after we went upstairs and had had uh, they, they cooked pizza, then we went back downstairs and they were like, all right, let's play Two Rolling Stone. I'm like, okay, let's go. Um so I got to play that for the first time with like a group of people that actually knew the tune, which was like fantabulous. Yeah. Um, now, granted, I sucked it really bad, but still being able to play like those because I know the songs pretty well. Like, that's great. I, I really enjoyed it. I even got to do some of the lead parts, the, the famous lead parts of that tune. But um, yep. so. I didn't have a Univibe when I played it, which was like sacrilege right Whoops. somebody should somebody yep. should be coming after me with pitchforks for playing robin trower stuff without a univibe and i had my board with me this board um but instead of that the um vibe machine i had the unicorn on there so when i left of course first thing i did was i got in the car i was, was put on some robin trower and i and i was listening to um uh to rolling stone actually and i was listening to it and i'm going damn it like there's something missing and it wasn't just the rig I was playing through because the rig I was playing through was obviously inadequate anyway for 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 my for what I try to do right, um, right, right. You know, in his hands, I'm sure it's great. But um, I uh, was like, got home and then I plugged in the amp one the next day and I was like, we're gonna we're gonna get this sound because I know I can do it with the amp one. It's it's a plexi in a box, right? So I, right, so right. I sit down and I start farting around with it and I start just trying different shit. And one of the things that occurs to me a couple of days into this process, the unicorn, right, is obviously a high impedance pedal. And it and it, right. it's got a lot of trouble. And it's like some or not high impedance pedal, but but a pedal that's like more modern impedance. So like, what the right. hell? So I pull it off the board and I'm like, you know what? The um vibe machine, which is on my other board, like, I gotta try this. So I put it on this one, and like I thought to myself, well, how do I simulate because the original Univibes had a cancel switch, which was not mm -hmm. true bypass. So you always right. had, and we talked about this on the show, and it's like something in the back of my mind is going, you know what? These guys that are all after this shit know this. And there's something to this because there's still people producing that that circuit that way. Right. So that I'm sound, like, yeah. all right, we got to try this because I've never done it before. And uh, I devised a way because I don't, I can't, I don't have a, I don't have a, an expression pedal. So remember I told you I was going to do an expression pedal? I don't have an expression pedal. So I couldn't do the uh, the manual way of doing it that the Vibe Machine allows you to. So apparently if you heal up or you heal down on your on your uh, expression pedal, it'll actually put the pedal in cancel mode. 
And if you put the pedal in cancel mode, then it's the equivalent of having like an old Univibe because it won't turn off. It'll just go into cancel mode. So your signal's still routed through like the, the gain stage that's in the pedal. And I realized, oh shit. I'll bet you I can simulate basically the same thing by just taking the uh, intensity knob and turning it to zero. Yep. Intensity is zero. I'm like, there it is. Like, that's the frequency curve that I've been hearing all these years that I'm like, what the hell? Why can't I do that? Um, and I always thought it was something in the recording chain. I thought it was an EQ or something, but I'm realizing it's not just an EQ. Like, there's more to it than that. And it was just uh, the way that the... He put it on the middle pickup, you know, and like it would just take off some of that top end. And of course, I would I would manipulate my trouble control and I would get it closer. And all of a sudden it was like, that's it. That's what I, that's what he's doing. I It's not I, I can't nail the sound identically, but like I know that's what's going on there. There's that that's at least one of the other components that I'm missing. It was like a big eureka moment for me because that's the sound I've been chasing like pretty much my entire playing career. And then all yep. of a sudden. I was like, well, I got an expression pedal because and then I got to mount this on a board and it's got to be like, then all these things started falling into place. I'm like, all right, so these four pedals plus an expression pedal plus an extra one. And I'd already sort of started, started thinking about like, I'm going to do this on a MIDI control board so I can control the, the amp one and get the power soak and all this stuff. And this morning I just said, you know, fuck it. Like what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the, the MIDI board we have now, we're going to dismantle it and we're going to have the four vintage style pedals that I already have. So like what you see is what you get on the face of them. Dual drive, right? So the King of Tone is going to be there. Um, and we're just going to make, and we're actually, the one thing I'm adding is a fuzz. Um, and that's going to be the board. And that's just going to be it. And I already have all of the stuff I need except for the expression pedals. And there's going to be two of them because I'm also going to run a volume pedal in the loop. First time I've yep. ever had to do it. Uh, I've just been noticing more and more and I've been thinking about this for a long time is like when I go to a gig and I'm like, or not gig, but like a jam and like volume police shows up and not, not to, you know, piss on anybody who's at my gigs, but, or the, the, uh, jams, but like, um, so it's turn your guitar down, turn your guitar down and I turn down and then what happens? We go to play and all of a sudden the drummer's way louder than me and like I have to go back to my amp and turn it up or and then I'm never sure what to turn it up at because nobody's there to tell me like turn it up or you know like good. Um, so now I have the volume pedal and I can just rock it on the floor and if somebody tells me to turn it back then I can you know it's, it's easy adjustment. So we're going to do that and then the other expression pedal is going to be for the for the vibe um, which that vibe pedal is nuts. Uh, I started to adjust it because I was like, well, wait a minute. Now that I know this, like, what is the, cause there's like five, um, five parameters that are like, uh, what do they call them? Uh, they're like dips, not dip switches. They're, they're like, um, trim pots on the side of the pedal, hole into the pedal trim pot. Right. So I started adjusting the trim pots and like, I realized, oh my God, whoever owned this thing before, he told me he didn't adjust it. Bullshit. Because uh, they, they, like, he was way off base on certain things. And even the manual said like at least one of the parameters that that it's like, don't go beyond this point or whatever. Like this gets zany. And it was over in that area. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, like, what are you doing? So I put everything back to basically as close as I could get to stock, at least in my ears, close as I could get to a real Univibe. And then um, like, now it's it's way better than it was before like I, it sounds accurate and i've been shitting on this pedal for six months because i'm like 
you know what? The unicorn is just easier. Like I don't have to fight it. But like this thing, I, I feel like now that I got it dialed in, I mean, it's like night and day. But um, all of those things are just little little pieces of the puzzle to make me realize what I was saying when, when, you know, I'm losing sleep over the fact that, dude, I've spent so much money on gear that I don't need. Like things that are sitting on my shelf right now that I'm like, and some of them I can't part with. Right. So there are some things that like now I have an attachment to, um, the BB preamps not going anywhere, but like, I'll be honest with you, both of the, the, um, uh, what are they? The Jackson audio pedals. They're probably gone. I, I just yeah. don't, I don't need them. Um, I am actually probably going to build a second King of tone and I'm going to build one because you can't buy one. And I'm going to build one um, because I'm going to have a second board, which is just with like the HX stomp, the King of tone, the unicorn and something else. And that's going to be for like using with my amps so that, you know, everything with the amp one is mounted on a board and then everything will be, you know, secondary will be on another board. And I'm not going to mess with, you know, mess with them. And it's just like, leave it. Like, I don't really need anything else. Even like I used to tell myself, like, different guitars, well, you're going to need, you know, a different fuzz or something. And it's like, really? At some point, it's like, dude, you got to stop like lying to yourself and just figure out the right settings and just stop worrying about it. Um, and I'm trying to get more back to basics. I'm making a very, very concerned effort. The other thing is, um, as we're ending the show right now, because uh, I know we're way over, but uh, the la and I know you want to get to bed. Um, the last thing is, uh, I am going to acquire a Boss RC six hundred. I bought, oh, okay. I bought the RC five hundred while we were doing the podcast about a year ago or two years ago during COVID because I was doing live streaming. I became an affiliate uh, on Twitch this week. And um, so that oh, means, nice. so that means I can accept tips. That means I can now uh, start to offer better interactivity for people who are watching the stream, um, which I have some ideas of how we're going to encourage that. Um, I, so uh, I have ideas. I don't, I'm not, everything is together yet, but I have ideas. And um, I've got a lot of work to do to get that going in the middle of recording a record, right? It's like, this is the worst time for me to be doing like three different things at once. But that's because that's literally what I'm going to do for the next like six months. Um, and I know that uh, the RC500 had a few features that I are, are had, I needed a few more features. It doesn't have enough foot switches. Boss. If you think a three button foot switch pedal is adequate for a two channel looper with like 50 effects and all these different things in it, you're fucking nuts. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you're just, that's wrong. Like the 600 has like, it's, it's basically the GT 1000, but it's just a looper. Right. Um, and it has MIDI and it has stereo ins and outs. And, you know, uh, can, I think you can take two instruments in three instruments in. And it's like, this is what I really need. Um, so we're going to do that and that's going to go on another board and the WH five is going to fit into this by being on that board because I'm going to use it for bass down. So like mm -hmm. octave down and then, uh, the beat buddy will go on that board and all this stuff will drive the stream. 
So with the things I sell, I sort of know where I'm headed, but it's like, it's just a lot of commitment to new stuff. Also, my guitar is being finished. So like, I know that's a big part of this too. The new, the new strats coming in. And so hopefully Mm -hmm. next, hopefully next podcast, I'll have more details on that, but um, cool. uh, Yeah. So I think that's enough. I think we've covered a lot tonight and I think, uh, We'll we'll probably talk more about my my journey because I'm sure that I'm going to be continuing on it. But it is gig based for a change. Like it's actual realizations I'm having from playing with other people is like I just don't use all this shit. Like I can have like 20 pedals on the floor, and if I only use four of them, what the hell difference does it make? Um, yep. So and you, Jim, you've talked about that too. You've got you got boards with stuff on them that you don't use. It's like, well, what do I have this for? I I put a turn on that course for that one song. You know, like um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I uh, I'm gonna end the show. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists. All right.